It's Friday, September 30th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STAKE15 for 15% off. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear there at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear, hot melted plastic made just for you. Need something custom? They got you covered. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family. Checking out big, big savings as always. Looking right now, we've got My Slippers Airlindells, versions one and two on sale. We've got three piece towel sets, the new cow bed sheets while supplies last, the MyPillow dog bed, and of course, Giza Dream Everything. For more of a morning person, they've got the My Coffee. They've got it via the bean, the bag, and the pod. You enter promo code steak at checkout, you get huge savings there. MyPillow.com forward slash steak, everything sleep related. MyStore.com forward slash steak for a little bit of the coffee business. Or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment can be found at Audison. Whether you're gaming, potting, sorry not sorry, get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Audison.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Alan Jacoby's launched My Patriot Cigars. They're premium handmade cigars out of Nicaragua made with 100% long filler tobacco aged at least three years to give you the best smoke possible. You get a promo code to take a checkout, you get 15% off. Free shipping on all orders over 100 bucks and a $10 e-gift card every single purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com is the website of premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's a licensed FFL. If you are into the tradesies and don't live in Canada, he's got a five-star rating. His newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is WestCoastSurvivalArms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Steak for breakfast, backs the blue. We love our first responders, and they're always working hard. While they're off-duty, they're probably wearing gear from Mediocre medic sweatshirts t-shirts flip-flops fanny packs and more stickers and patches for while they're on the job plus they got a pretty fire ig mediocremedic.com is the website and last but certainly not least gold standard of tactical flair and boom the zero fuck stuck still don't know go ask mark joe friday dumpbox.us is the website you can find them on instagram find them on facebook friends don't forget to follow the show on instagram at steak for podcast breakfast or on the website at steakforbreakfastpodcast.com you'll find a link tree that will take you to all our social medias the website our newest Substack, telegram channel and more on that note and to all our friends joining us today on the patriot podcast network via the roku app on the twitterverse instagram discord and now via our verified accounts on getter and true social welcome friday edition steak for breakfast podcast episode 174 i'm roan noah's out of the office today 
Antoinette and Alan Jacoby are here for the show. Guys, we've got a great lineup coming in here. Hot. We're going to have a little sit-down with Mr. Joe Kent. We're going to have a couple other guests coming through. Cynthia Hughes of the January 6th Freedom Project. But before we get into any of that, let's jump right into the news. So Jackie Walorski represented the state of Indiana in Congress for nearly a decade. She died tragically last month in a car accident instantly, along with three other people, two of her staffers and the other driver. At the time, Joe Biden paid tribute to Walorski. Jill and I are shocked and saddened by the death of Congresswoman Jackie Walorski, Biden said. But he's apparently forgotten that she passed away. Today at a conference on food insecurity, which he has caused with the lunatic war in Ukraine, Joe Biden asked why Jackie Walorski wasn't there. Watch. And I want to thank all of you here, for including bipartisan elected officials like Representative Governor, Senator Braun, Senator Booker, Representative Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? Oh. I didn't think she was, she was going to be here. <laughs> so you didn't see that event. Almost nobody did. But news organizations sent somebody called a pool reporter who represents the rest of the news organizations to take notes. Anything notable that happens they write down and then the rest of us can learn about it. But that event was covered by a pool reporter from Yahoo News who left the episode out of his pool report. Mm. But at the White House, reporters asked Karine Jean-Pierre about it anyway. And she said it's totally normal to ask why a dead person hasn't come to Joe Biden's speech. Watch. And as he was naming folks, he she was on top of mind and he understands and knew that she was he was going to see uh, her family on Friday uh, to, for this bill signing. Uh, again, I don't think it's all that unusual uh, to have someone top of mind. It's not all that unusual. What is unusual is to have a completely senile president. And it's a problem <laughs> for two reasons. One, he doesn't seem threatening. So most of the population has no idea what's actually going on. Mm -hmm. Looks like grandpa nodding out at the Thanksgiving table. So people don't really get just how radical the administration is. And the second problem with having a senile president, we're living through this now, is that weak leaders cause disasters. So in your mind's eye, you think of the people who cause disasters as being, you know, testosterone swollen dictators. But it's the weak who screw things up every single time. And of course, Joe Biden is the weakest of all. We're not mocking him. We actually feel sorry for him. Mm. Back to the White House, Karine Jean-Pierre was asked, what is this about? And her response was, you're jumping to a lot of conclusions. Yes, we are. And we're going to get into that. Uh, Obviously. I've pulled some, some nice clips of her getting absolutely posterized following this event. Welcome to the show. Uh, Antoinette's joined us. She's here. What's going on, girl? No, I'm here. I'm here. Great to have you in on this Friday edition of the show. And our great friend and co-host of The Great Steak Breakfast, our new live Saturday show, host of The Great Divide, Adam Jacoby's here with us to do a little color commentary today. Noah's out of the office. You know, we don't, we don't offer a lot of things. Cheap dental, mediocre health care, and at least one week of paid vacation that Noah's enjoying right now. Alan, how's everything going with you? Everything is going great. What's going on, everyone? We love having you on the show. And... Uh, we're going to do a little bit of the news. So we've we've made fun of Joe Biden essentially now for two years and, and pointed out in extent his cognitive decline. But it was surely on display on, you know, Wednesday here where he attended an event that was supposed to be centered around this recently deceased, uh, you know, person who worked in Congress, Jackie Warlowski. And uh, he asked everybody where she was. 
even though she's been dead since August. Completely <laughs> normal, apparently, to uh, you know everybody that is backing this regime right now. It's just absolutely ludicrous to watch this guy work and to know he's got the keys to the freaking nukes right now. And, and Tucker did make a good point. It's like when he does things like that, it only confirms even more the people who are running this country. Obviously, is not him. He has no say and knows does not know what's going on. Um, but, you know, he is allowing these people to just run rampant. Alan, we were talking off the air before the show, you know, Ron, Klein, Ron Klein's wife, the uh, yeah. chief of staff for Joe Biden, now she's going to have a high-paying, high-ranking position within the government. He just brought in, you know, Podesta not too long ago to to be in control of billions of dollars worth of energy funds. And, uh, you know, we know Susan Rice is involved and John Kerry is involved and Barack Obama's probably involved. Hillary Clinton's running the rounds right now. Obviously, you know, crazy Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, they're having a field day um, because they still haven't recovered from the 2016 election or when <laughs> Donald Trump shut the government down because of them. And, uh, you know, we pointed out on the show, after all the money that's been sent all over the world, and we've kind of parlayed it now, so now it's the skirmish in Ukraine fighting global hunger, and green new bullshit. Those are the three itinerary for border wall currencies. This week, we're heading into the weekend, 30.25. So 30 and a quarter border walls worth of cash, funding, aid, and equipment to combat global warming, world hunger, and Vladimir Putin in Ukraine. Yep. And hey, did did you add the three billion in yeah. that that he for the uh, Afghan uh, the Afghan the unvetted Afghans that he brought over in the oh, debacle no, of, of course the evacuation? We did. You, you added that? Okay. Yeah, that got just us over. The, make sure the that got us right. over the thirty mark. So it's just, <laughs> ugh, I can't even think about. We shut the government down for months for one border wall, right? A measly three billion dollars and change, and then had to go. In and out of court like 18 times over the course of a year and a half to get whatever's up now built. And we've sent over 30 of them to some of the biggest money laundering operations this world has ever known. Yeah, which I think I just saw something that uh, Ukraine's application to NATO, I think, was just denied officially. Good, because I I tell you what. happened. If they're looking to start World War III, and we'll get into that a little bit more in News 1. Unfortunately, the front half of the show, news-wise, is going to be Joe Biden heavy. So buckle up for that. And, uh, you know, we do have to talk about some of these things that happened at the White House press pool. Because instead of, like, having her speak before any of his events, which is great. Because usually it's like she speaks, then she's gone. He fucks up, and all they do is issue statements saying, like, oh, he didn't mean that. We're not changing yes. policy. Uh, you know, the president was thinking about this when he said that. Like, this guy needs a, a, a fucking, like, interpreter standing next to him each time. Um, and he's not too far away from being a mime himself. But I pulled three back-to-back-to-back clips where the press was just not going to let this go and, and see how hard she pushes back on trying to cover up for this absolute embarrassment. Uh, That is the current president of the United States. Let's get into it. To try one more time, um, does the president believe that in his reference to the late Representative Jackie Walorski, who you have said uh, from the podium numerous times he respects the work that she has done, he'll be meeting with her family uh, to honor her work, does he believe 
he handled that reference appropriately? Or is this something that he would like to get back? Get, uh, what, like to get back what? Oh! He said, where is Jackie? Look, I know this is a, a question that many of you have had. I've answered it multiple times uh, already in this room. Uh, and my answer is certainly not going to change. Uh, all of you may have views on, on how I'm answering it, but I am answering the question uh, to the way that uh, he saw it uh, and the way that uh, we see it. Uh, we have to remember as, as well is that, uh, you know, this was an important event today. This was an event about food security. This was an event about how we're going to take the steps to get to, to eradicate hunger by 2030. And, and that choked. is something that the president takes very personally. That is something that the, we would be doing this event that has not happened. Oh, hang on, this president one's for the Nixon, 2030 comment. Right? Oh. That was 50 years ago that an event like this occurred at the White House. So clearly, this is something that is important. Uh, clearly, this is something that he uh, really honors both Republican and Democratic. Uh, congressional champions uh, when it comes to this issue. Again, she was at the top of mind. Uh, he is going to be uh, seeing her family in two days to honor her, uh, to honor the work that she has done. And, um, and uh, you know, this was a remarkable legacy that she had, and we should be honoring that. Mm-hmm. So, oh. I mean, there, there's, you know what, I'll be completely honest with you, the end of that statement is some of the most factual things that she's ever said. God rest that lady's soul who died in, in both untimely and unimaginable way possible. It was like, you know, head-on collision slash yeah. car fire. And uh, she, she, she was an old lady. But, you know, th the fact of the matter is, is that they're trying to spin it into making it about her, which in portion it is. But it's just the, the level of senileness that this president has right now. Um, it's, it's like... We've never seen anything like this before. I mean, you know, it's, it's, I'm Don Young, who who was the 40 year Republican uh, House member for Alaska, and Chuck Grassley make you know they 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 look like they're in their 30s when they're next to Joe Biden, yeah. and Don Young's dead. You know this this wasn't a member of Congress that that died of old age or or was was terminally ill. This was a member of Congress that was killed in a horrific car wreck with, I believe, some of her staffers and yeah. other people. OK, so and it was a month ago. It was a, a, maybe a little over a month ago and she's dead. And it was a horrific death, something that the president of the United States should remember when someone who's a member of Congress dies like that and who he's supposed to be honoring in part at this uh, presser, this, this conference. And because of his uh, cognitive decline, he screwed it up. And that yes, KJP, she actually said top of mind. I believe it was 13 times during that press briefing, top of mind, top of mind, top of mind. Well, maybe the, horrific death of this Congresswoman should have been the top of mind of him and not him looking for her like a senile old man. And when she says that she's not, a, she's not going to change her answer because she's not allowed to change her answer yep. because she's not giving those answers because she is not in control of the pre press briefing room. Like 
former press secretaries under Donald Trump was. She has a middle person. And I say it all the time on my show. I might've even said it on yours that I truly believe that Jen Psaki and KJP do not have access, direct access to Joe Biden, that there is a middle person, that if three people, including Jill Biden, has access to Joe Biden on a daily basis, I think it's a lot. So imagine if Donald Trump, if, if this was Donald Trump and he said, hey, uh, where's John? Where's John Lewis? Or where's Elijah Cummings? Two black members of Congress who died. Imagine he did that. It would be all over, all over mainstream media, and the mob would go crazy. And yes, members of the mob were pressing uh, media, were pressing KJP, and they were, they were basically eating her answers. Yeah, top of mind, top of mind. It is all just again more ridiculousness that shows and I have to disagree with Tucker Carlson. No, at least for me, I don't feel bad for Joe Biden any longer, probably because he's just a big piece of shit through his whole political career. That has a lot to do with it. But this just again shows the world how weak and feeble the United States currently is. It's it's true story. No, you, you make an excellent point there. Antoinette, we know you don't like listening to the old man, but when you see him embarrass the entire country, uh, when everyone's watching on display like that, it, it's got to kind of resonate. And then to see them do the usual cover up his tracks and try to say he didn't say that or mean it, or he meant it a different way. It's got to look like, uh, you know, even worse for a lot of our geopolitical adversaries across the globe. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's terrible. It's almost like, I don't even know anymore. It's like it's on purpose at this point. It's that bad. We look terrible on the global stage, and it's, it's I don't know, like a, it can't, it, just when you think it can't get worse and you can't mess up even more, he does it. And you, you want to know what? It's, it's, a, it's excellent that you brought up that point because the next clip of KJP, the reporters are actually asking her about this. Okay, th- this is starting to happen with so much more frequency. Like, what's the deal here? Let's hear her not be able to escape. Go ahead. 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 You're yelling and over your colleague. So that is incredibly rude. Oh. So can you go ahead? Go ahead. And I think you guys kind of get the point. The the whole climate in there disintegrated because, like I said, she just blows him off. Oh, no, he didn't mean that. He meant this. I'm not going to change my answer. Like, you guys can all raise your hand, and that's the same thing. I'm just going to put my elbow on the podium, smirk my face a little bit, and say, like, I've already meant, I've already answered that. That's what he means. And, you know, that's kind of where we're at. And it's it's so embarrassing. It, it just really so is. So bad. She sounded like a, like a, one of them, like, Karen elementary school teachers. Yes. Yes. Like, and she, believe me, she is the one teaching your kids about pronouns and things of that nature. Well, did, did we get the, the identity of, of the of the uh, reporter that was that was yelling the question? Do we know who that was? I was just thinking myself who that was. No, it didn't give him creds. It was from a, a third party media clip that I pulled it from. Yeah, but uh, 
it just it just shows you that if, if, if whoever that was yelling over their colleagues that, that probably a member of the mainstream media mob but it just shows that they're not they want answers they yeah. as as deviant as they are they they still they see what's going on it, it so it seems but again it could just all be a show how long is it going to go for is this guy going to make it <laughs> well here's the thing i don't know if you guys have noticed but we've been playing a lot less Peter Ducey on the show lately. However, he still is in the White House press pool. She has been purposely not calling on him, a la Chanel Rian from OAN, uh, you know, during the Biden administration and, and, and the start of this one. She's essentially been moved to the back of the room, and they don't even call on her anymore. She's just there. And I was uh, about her. So she's still in the press pool, but she's never able to talk. Ever. Never- I think she's asked one question this year, and we've played it on wow. the show. Um, yeah. But, but you know, Peter Ducey now is not getting called on with frequency because he, he can get that point across that a lot of those reporters were, like, trying to get an emotional reaction out of KJP, but he can do it in a more, you know, yeah. groomed and, and like, uh, professional manner that you don't necessarily see. Speaking of which, uh, former top aide to the Trump White House, Stephen Miller, uh, jumped on Newsmax yesterday. I saw the clip. I pulled it, and, you know, he's basically talking about this whole situation with Joe Biden. Let's uh, hear his breakdown. Well, you're asking exactly the right question. Every cabinet secretary needs to be asked whether or not they're going to invoke the 25th Amendment. You assembled an incredibly persuasive set of clips and sound and video in your monologue this evening. And it documents, as can a thousand more clips that you've seen and that you've talked about before, that President Biden is not cognitively present. He does not have the mental capacity to serve as the president of the United States of America. If he was in a nursing home, he would be in the assisted living section, not the area where people are in a retirement community who are living their own lives and who are making their own decisions. Maybe they just have a little bit of help when they need it. He would be in the round the clock care section for someone who forgets who they are, where they are, what they're doing, who's alive, who's dead, how to take care of themselves. He is completely cognitively diminished and deteriorated. So this is a terrifying situation. And of course, we see the results. We see the results all the time. The world is more violent, more dangerous, more unstable than ever before. Of course, we can talk about Afghanistan, the greatest foreign policy humiliation in American history. You know, and believe me, nobody wants to get back to the White House more than Donald Trump than Stephen Miller does. He has a lot of unfinished business to do especially in regards to locking down this border and, and finishing the wall. But, you know, he will, he will definitely pull no punches when he goes out and talks about, uh, you know, these retards on a daily basis on, you know, the cable news circuit because, again, this is beyond embarrassing. I mean, I can only imagine what, like, you know, the government in Iran and North Korea and the CCP, you know, Vladimir Putin, you think he gives a shit about anything? Joe Biden says and we'll actually get into that a little bit, uh, you know, in our first news block. But before we do, uh, we're going to sit down with someone who's very uh, educated on the situation in the Oval Office right now and is looking to do uh, a little impeaching of his own once he gets there. All right. Joining us first on the show today, he's the Trump endorsed America first Republican nominee to represent the U.S. House of Representatives in the midterm elections. Washington 3, Mr. Joe Kent, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. 
Yeah, man. Always great to be with you guys. How's everything going with you, sir? Congratulations on the primary win. I don't know if we've caught up since then. Everybody's been so busy and uh, running around. I tell you what, our schedule is we're going – we're recording almost five days a week now with uh, the availability of all the candidates, but as expected in, in probably the most consequential midterm elections in the history of modern politics. Uh, how's it been since the uh, big primary win, and what's the general election campaign trail looking like right now? Yeah, thanks, man. No, it's been great. It's been, uh, you know, we didn't really slow down very much. We, we've got a weird election system out here, so things were not resolved on election night. So it took us another uh, almost 10 days to, to clear everything up, and I was the winner. So that's nice. Just been, been uh, consolidating the Republican vote. Luckily, everybody that was in the race with me has really consolidated. Their supporters have come around me. Um, so right now with the recent polling, we're up, we think, by about four to five. The Democrats released an internal poll that has me up by four. Uh, our stuff looks like we're up by about five. So we're feeling feeling confident not taking anything for granted. Uh, I think that was a, a sample size like in one of our urban centers. So I think if you add in our rural vote, we're, we're doing a little better, but I'm always going to run like I'm in second or third place. Just did a debate the other night with uh, my Democrat opponent, which was very illuminating. No, that's uh, something that we're hearing a lot of, you know, those numbers that are having everybody's race really close right now. The the samples are usually coming out of like, you know, the cities and stuff like that. But I've had several guests come on in the last few weeks who says that rural vote, the people who mom and pop jobs, small business owners, people who rely on fuel and energy to, uh, you know, make their businesses great uh, are the ones hurting the most. And they're going to be a big surprise component of this midterm election. That's what I'm saying too. I mean, we have one, you know, I'd say like urban area, but even the rest of that county is still fairly suburban to rural. And then everything else, as you pull out from that, is uh, it's rural. And people are being absolutely decimated by Biden's energy policies, by inflation, and then you know, crimes right on our doorstep between Portland and Seattle here. Uh, so even even the crime is even spewing into our rural communities as well, especially the fentanyl. I mean, and that's all coming from the open southern border, and everyone knows it. They might not want to. Talk Talk to a pollster about it, but I think we've, we've got a lot of folks out there who are going to participate in a midterm who, who probably wouldn't participate in midterms in the past. No, we agree with you, and uh, it's a lot of those uh, numbers that we're not seeing right now. You know, we saw the guy from Trafalgar. Uh, he was out doing the rounds this weekend. I, I played a piece of him appearing on Dan Bongino, and he was talking about it. it was It was a little bit easier to identify shy Trump voters in 2016 than it is now, but the way things are going with uh, the way people are doxxed, the way Joe Biden has demonized over a million possible voters with his comments and, you know, the things that have come out of Merrick Garland's and Alejandro Mayorkas's mouths uh, over the last two years. Uh, you know, was, I wouldn't be as inclined if I was just a regular person to give my polling data to somebody if, who knows who they're going to sell it to. And uh, we all know what could happen after that. So I definitely think there's going to be some uh, people showing up at the ballot box that usually don't. I also think there's a lot more focus on these midterm elections than uh, historically have been in years past. Why don't you introduce our listenership a little bit to your uh, general election component and, and kind of lay out the differences right now that, you know, whether it be like things that they support the Biden regime on or voting records. And uh, let's kind of lay out that matchup. Yes, I'm running against a uh, another. She's never been a elected official before. She's ran for a few different things at the county level and hasn't been successful. So I think she's she thinks she can fail up, or it's kind of funny. <laughs> um, but she's running. She's presenting herself as a blue collar rural Democrat. Uh, her and her husband own a auto body shop across the river in Portland. 
Um, so she's trying to do this really, this Joe Biden circa 2020, hey, I'm a centrist, I'm a blue collar person, I understand these issues, but here's the deal. She's actually a pretty radical, uh, sort of an activist. I mean, she went to Reed College, which is extremely liberal in Portland. Yeah. Um, she's really just been looking for a political office to run for. Her business was providing material support to Antifa. Uh, and Democrats, I, I don't envy them, they, they've got right now they have to try and say hey i give a compelling case for why they should be in office but they can't hang their hats on any of biden's policy so we talked about energy crime the open border what's happening in our schools with the child grooming like they buy off on these things lock stock and bread but they can't talk about them so we had a debate the other night we were asked hard questions the moderator was very fair asked good relevant pertinent questions about what we would do with the economy she couldn't answer she went immediately into just personally attacking and saying that me and you know all the Trump supporters were, were Nazis and were white supremacists, but she couldn't talk about inflation. She wouldn't talk about the energy crisis. Same thing with crime. She just said, hey, well, the issue is we're not paying police officers enough. And so, yeah, we should be playing, paying police officers more, but the crime is a result of Democrat policies from the federal level. And then here in the state of Washington, and our Democrats, the same Democrats that are endorsing my opponent, they're the ones that are advocating for us to open up our jails and literally let child killers free uh, to walk the streets again because they're abolishing the three strikes and you're out clause. So, they just they have nothing and they go with these petty personal attacks she even because she's endorsed by our crazy governor jay inslee when mm-hmm. she was asked point blank hey would you continue to support vaccine mandates and if the pandemic you know if the, the, the quote-unquote science says bring back the lockdowns would you do it she would not answer the question she just says you know she she did her religious uh genuflection to vaccines science and fauci I can see why people who live in your district right now who are fed up with the current state of the nation are going to be feeding into those poll numbers that show you're already ahead because that's the, if you can actually get somebody in this election cycle to a town hall or to a debate stage, it just seems like you're either going to be the Democrat who supports the current administration, which all you have to do is look at the country and know you're screwed, or you're an incumbent who uh, is tied to a voting record. And it's either how much are you voting with Pelosi and how much are you voting with Biden and how much are we going to beat you at the ballot box on November 8th you did mention a couple things like personal attacks. Last time you were on the show, you mentioned you've been compared to everything as a pseudo-Nazi and a white supremacist, all the way down to like being a Bernie bro at some point. Did it surprise you this week, especially with your numbers in the polls starting to surge a little bit, to see the Rolling Stones hit piece come out? Yeah, not really, no. And that Rolling Stone hit piece, it's it's like their thesis is that I must be some sort of a white nationalist <laughs> because a bunch of people follow, follow me on Gab. But, you know, it just really displays that, like, a lot of these journalists legitimately are either just completely dishonest, which I think a lot of them are, but they're also just lazy and bad at their job because they would have dug deeper. Andrew Torba and Nick Fuentes, they've spent a lot of time, money, and effort attacking me. They've actually spent money against me. So they're trying to like link me and Torba together, but anybody who follows Twitter, social media drama, I mean, they know that Torba actually hates me and is working against me. So I don't think that article gathered uh, very much traction at all. And then right after that, the New York Times followed me around the district, came to a couple of my different town halls, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. I was impressed they came to these rural ones. Um, And they did a big cover piece on me and uh, and my opponent. No, I mean, you make 100% sense there and, and it's funny Joe you've been on the show so many times it seems like we've just got this kind of bond where you know where these interviews are going you, you talked about people who were working against you the next person I wanted to talk about was Kevin McCarthy um, you know not only has there been a lot of information that's come out lately that that has shown there are actually receipts starting to get gathered about how many different races he was involved in in trying to get uh, people into uh, the primary election that weren't MAGA that weren't Trump endorsed he worked directly against you amongst several others it 
looks like it could be over a dozen, if not more. Now, he rolled out that Commitment to America platform, which would be the answer to the House's version to combat the current Biden agenda right now. Uh, we know that he worked with up to seven different caucuses or factions inside the House. He, we also know that Newt Gingrich, who you know delivered in 1994 for the first time in 40 years, had his hands on it as well. Um, but, you know, people in Congress who, who actually have a spine like Matt Gates, came out immediately and railed against portions of it, specifically the part that federalizes uh, the hiring process through funding of uh, police officers across the country. Now, I'm sure you had a chance to break this down and people are going to ask you about it on the campaign trail. What do you think right now, uh, looking from that on the outside, looking in, uh, how it works for the American people moving forward? Yeah, overall, if we if we concentrate on, I think the progress that that commitment with America, I can't see the Republican Party writing that two or three years ago. Uh, the vast majority of that is, is very America first. Yeah, I, I would agree with Matt Gates. Like we we don't want to federalize. We don't want to federalize very much of anything, especially like law enforcement. Let's push this stuff down to the lowest level. And big supporter of constitutional sheriffs. Overall, though, I, I think the document's pretty impressive. And, and if you look at the progress we've made in the Republican caucus, moving it in this America first agenda, I, I think that shows a lot of progress. Now, look, it, it's it's out there. I said I'm not going to vote for McCarthy uh, for speaker. That's why they spent so much money against me. But me and people like Caroline Levin, we we pulled through that and we won. And and now the the NRCC, because it's, you know, it, it's a fight against Democrats. It's a fight for the House. They're doing the right thing. They're stepping forward. They're helping us out. Um, so I, I think we have a, an opportunity here to really start moving the caucus in this direction so i've i've laid out my grievances against mccarthy and the establishment over and over again what i will say is since people like me and carolina don bulldog there's so many of us that pulled through this wave of attacks uh unfortunately from the right i do think they've been forced to see that hey look the base the people you need to win elections they're not happy with the old status quo and then that translates to things being written like the, the commitment with america so you know, I uh, I hope we can continue to move the caucus in that way. I'm, I'm more optimistic about it right now than I was, you know, just six months ago. No, you're right. And, you know, Donald Trump had that meeting out at uh, Trump Golf D.C. a couple weeks ago where it was like him, his kids, Scavino, Sean Hannity, Kevin McCarthy, uh, Devin Nunes, and a couple others. And I really think, you know, we all know Kevin McCarthy met with Newt Gingrich face-to-face -face for a couple days up on Capitol Hill. Following that, next thing you know, a week later, we got this thing rolling out. So I think between Trump kind of reading McCarthy the riot act, listen, primaries are over, so is the time to start, you know, stop jerking around. And then Newt Gingrich is like, you're not a popular person right now, but we can make you more marketable if you just meet America first in the middle. And it looks like that's where they're at. One thing that might go outside of the bounds of America first, but something we definitely have to consider uh, after the midterm elections is possible impeachments. I know we touched on it with you before. After some of the disasters we've seen this week, Joe Biden calling for a deceased congresswoman yesterday at an event for her. In addition to that, we saw, well, it's going to come back on somebody that has to line up with the uh, West, the uh, sabotage done with the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines. Uh, after Joe Biden and, and Naslin both went on the record earlier this year saying that, like, listen, if this war doesn't end, he's not going to have that. Y you can only connect the dots back so far. Moving closer to World War III and how irresponsible Joe Biden, and, well, and incompetent in his job, do people like him, Alejandro Mayorkas for the border, director of Homeland Security, and, of course, the U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland, all still seem to be viable candidates to be up on the chopping block for uh, impeachments following the midterms? 
100%. Yeah, absolutely. They, they haven't done anything to redeem themselves. You know, uh, I mean, I laugh, but it's all it's all absolute insanity. So Biden's met the, the, the standards of high crimes and misdemeanors like we've never seen before. And, and so is my orcas. I think Article One is the border. Biden invaded and invited the invasion. They've done nothing to even walk this back or try and stop the bleeding. They got their pedal to the metal on that. The Ukraine situation has me very, very concerned. Yeah. Um, we've talked about it a bunch on here. We continue to escalate. No one's moving towards peace. And look, whoever it was that did the sabotage operation on the Norad Stream 2 pipeline, and we have members of the Parliament of the European Union saying thank you, USA. Biden's on the record saying we're going to take this out. So whether we did it or not, we're going to get blamed for it. This is how Russia can read this. It'd be a different story if Biden wasn't on the record saying that, like, Vladimir Putin cannot remain president, like talking this very strong regime change, George Bush, Hillary Clinton-esque rhetoric that's just just consistently uh, been used to escalate this situation. And now we have a, a senile commander in chief whose most recent experience is the disastrous withdrawal in Afghanistan. So I, I think we have we cannot back down on impeaching Biden. I feel the same way about Kamala Harris. Like she funded BLM, she funded Antifa. But more more recently, I mean, she's the borders are right. Like yep. her and Mayorkas, like they got to go. Like you never stepped in. This is on your watch. Like you're, you're getting we're, we're going after you guys. I mean. Chris Ray, A.G. Garland, yeah. everything that the FBI has been exposed of doing, like we, we have to hold these people accountable. And look, I, I, I talk right now, I'm trying to reach out right now to moderate Republicans. I'm trying to reach out to, to, to moderates. And like, it sounds extreme when we say things like we're going to impeach them, we're going to defund this and that. But when you just think about how off balance things are right now, like we really don't have a choice. This, Yeah, we might be happy that we're punching our enemies back because we've been getting punched for so long. But when you really just look at the facts, like we this is this is the reason why we have these procedures built into our system. So that's yeah, that's something we can't back down on. And like, folks, you know, I'm happy to go help Matt Gates really push that in this next Congress. Speaking of Matt Gates, it was the next thing on my list. House Freedom Caucus, something that interests you and you want to be a part of next year? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah, undoubtedly, and we think you'd be an amazing addition. We've seen some polls going around of future possible uh, members of the caucus, and uh, I couldn't think of anybody that could help those guys out up on Capitol Hill who who need to bump those numbers up than you. Joe, what, what do you got events-wise coming up? Are you going to have any candidates coming in anywhere? Are you going anywhere? Are you going to have any events and any more debates or town halls moving forward? I'm all over the district. We're doing a town hall pretty much every night. Today's pretty much a media day. I'm doing some local, uh, pretty um, heavily viewed local Slavic vote uh, podcast slash TV show this afternoon. But after that, we're back on the road. I'm up in on Alaska in Lewis County uh, tomorrow night for a town hall. And then after that, just check JoeKenForCongress.com under our events. We're doing town halls every night. Up until the time the uh, the ballot, or up until November eighth, and then we're supposed to debate again. Me and my Democrat opponent are supposed to debate again on October fifteenth. We believe this one's actually going to be tele- televised as opposed to just streamed. Yeah, that October fourteenth, uh, fifteenth end of the week there is a huge. Uh, debate calendar. I think there's going to be a lot of people streaming your guys' events all over the country. I think it's everyone from you, Dr. Oz, Herschel Walker. You guys are all out there having some of your uh, last debates around that time of year. Joe, you know, we, we know funding's always an issue. I mean, you might not necessarily, well, you always need it, but we want to direct as much of our listenership to continue to support your America First campaign. So if you want to give your uh, campaign website and social medias, you know we're going to blast them out across all our socials. Yeah, please do. Joe Kent for Congress.com. Anything people can donate, greatly appreciated. I beat the establishment because patriots from the, the entire country gave me five, ten, fifteen dollars. That's really how we win. That's what sets me free from all this different corporate pack money that I, I just simply refuse to take. So Joe Kent for Congress.com. Uh, I'm on all the socials, Joe Kent 16 J A N 19, Twitter, Gitter, Proof, Instagram, all that. 
Yeah, we'll live link him in the show description today. And uh, it was a pleasure sitting down with you and following your campaign, essentially from the beginning. We were one of your first yeah. interviews after you announced, and here we Absolutely. are just about five weeks away from the ballot box. We, we might sneak another one in with you, but if not, we wish you the best of luck and health uh, down the stretch here. And, 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 of course, you know how we feel on Steak for Breakfast. You're going to make one hell of a congressman next year. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Always great to be with you guys. And we appreciate you. This is the America First Trump endorsed Republican nominee, Washington 3, Mr. Joe Kent. Thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson. Tonight, you hate to start a Tuesday evening on a grim note, but one of the environmental catastrophes, one of the great environmental catastrophes of our time, is unfolding tonight off the coast of Denmark. The Nord Stream pipelines, which are enormous Russian-owned conduits that carry natural gas from Russia to Western Europe, have been breached. As we speak, Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 are pouring millions of cubic meters of natural gas into the Baltic Sea. Pictures from the air, which you can now see on your screen, show a toxic bubble field more than half a mile wide. You can only guess at how many marine mammals are being killed right now, countless. But the lasting damage may be to the atmosphere. Natural gas is comprised of up to 90% methane. Methane, as Joe Biden has often told you, is the key driver of global warming, which is, of course, an existential threat to humanity and the planet. So if you're worried about climate change, what just happened to the Nord Stream pipelines is as close to the apocalypse as we have ever come. So the question is, how did this happen? And it turns out it was not an accident. At the very same time that leaks in these pipelines were detected, Swedish officials recorded two powerful undersea explosions, each Hmm. one of which was equivalent to hundreds of pounds of TNT. Nothing in nature can account for that. Almost immediately, the pipelines began leaking in three separate places. So there's only one explanation for what happened. This was an act of industrial terrorism. That was very obvious to the prime minister of Poland, and he wasted no time in saying so. Watch. Today, we are also dealing with an act of sabotage. We do not know the details of what happened yet, but we can clearly see that it is an act of sabotage, an act that probably marks the next stage in the escalation of the situation we are dealing with in Ukraine. We can clearly see, he said, this was an act of sabotage, an act of terrorism. Well, yes, we can see that. So the question is who did it? And of course, the prime suspect is obvious. It would be the same man who caused domestic inflation here in the US and stole the 2016 election from Hillary Clinton. That'd be Vladimir V. Putin. The Washington Post got right to it. Putin, they declared, is now weaponizing the Nord Stream pipelines. According to the Canadian ambassador to the UN, Vladimir Putin has decided to use, quote, pollution as an act of war. Progressive Twitter strongly endorsed this conclusion. Putin did it. And that makes sense until you thought about it for just a moment. Vladimir Putin may be evil. They tell us that he is evil. But is he stupid? I definitely Probably isn't think, stupid. I don't think he is. What about you guys? Mm-mm. No. No, sure he isn't. Himself. Come on, please. There, there's zero percent chance that this is an internal act of eco-terrorism. There is no way. No way. So, so you know, I talked about this yesterday with uh, on my show and actually on Roger Stone's show. You know, back in February. Joe Biden, yeah, it was. A, you can look at it up on uh, Reuters. There's a b- bunch of media that has it. Joe Biden was at some sort of uh, press conference, and he said that he warned Russia if they invaded Ukraine, there would be no Nord Stream, Nord Stream two. And when he was pressed about it, he may smirked and said, "Trust me, yeah, there will be no Nord Stream two. So. 
that raises the question, is the Biden regime behind or involved with the sabotaging of it? Yep. You know what's pretty funny? Says. <laughs> I like the paraphrasing, but let's hear it. Okay. Let me answer the first question first. If Germany, if, uh, if Russia invades, oh. uh, that means tanks or troops crossing the, uh, the, the border of Ukraine uh, again, then uh, there, will be, uh, we, there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We, we will bring an end to it. But, do, but how will you how will you do that exactly since the project and control of the project is within Germany's control? We will. Uh, I promise you we'll be able to do it. Hmm. Yeah, I think you did it. Pretty good projection, Wait, if I do say so myself. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's pretty crazy how that's come to fruition and and it's not just joe biden it's a former architect of the most recent invasion of iraq and one of the also architects of weaponizing the u.s department of homeland security toria naslin uh she was speaking before a congressional inquiry just a few months ago uh right before the russian incursion into ukraine and she basically uh, played her hand a little bit too much as well. Let's hear that. Toria Newland at the State Department said pretty much the very same thing. Newland is a lifelong war cheerleader. She worked to bring about the Iraq invasion, never apologized, kept going. She helped engineer the coup that overthrew the Ukrainian government some years back. So capable, clearly she's capable of anything. But environmental terrorism, even for Toria Newland, that seemed too much, too extreme. And yet here she is in January. With regard to Nord Stream 2, uh, we continue to have uh, very strong and clear conversations uh, with... One way or the other, we'll stop Nord Stream. Now, looking back, those words seem chilling eight months later as natural gas pours into the Baltic Sea and into the atmosphere. So you have to ask, could the Biden administration really do something like this? We can't say for sure. We don't know for sure. We can tell you that close allies of the Biden White House believe they certainly did do it. Yep. Radek Sikorski is a Polish politician. He's chairman of the EU-USA delegation in the European Parliament. He's connected. He's also the husband of regime stenographer Ann Applebaum of The Atlantic magazine. Oh, Sikorski that. is so close to Joe Biden that he's got a picture of the two of them together in his Twitter profile. So when the pipelines blew up, Sikorski responded immediately. And here's what he wrote. Thank you, USA. Oh. So once again, did the Biden administration really do this? It's hard to believe. Given that it's an atrocity, it's effectively an act of terrorism, we don't want to make that accusation. But we should tell you that, maybe not coincidentally, today a brand new pipeline was unveiled, a pipeline that carries non-Russian natural gas in roughly the same area as Nord Streams 1 and 2. This is called the Baltic Pipe. It was inaugurated in Poland. It will carry natural gas from Norway through Denmark to Poland and other countries nearby. And it's likely to do very well since now it has less competition. Mm, imagine that. Brand new pipeline. Day of the act of eco-terrorism as well. What a coincidence. Mm. Yeah, it, it just, and again, no one's going to talk about this. This is going to be another cover-up. 
And I know, I think Germany had mentioned that they were investigating it, but is anyone going to really investigate it? Right. I mean, I, I, it's in the middle of the ocean. I doubt there were any sort of cameras around, you know, sometimes they have underwater camera. I, I don't know how the security system works for the, for the pipeline, but uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see if any information comes out of this, because if, if this is proven somehow, you know, sabotage from a, a government, no matter what the government it is, I mean, that's an act of war. Yep. Yep. Oh, you're hundred percent right. And, uh, security and what kind of, like, if they do have any proof that would be, it, it would be wild if they, if they did catch. So what, what I've heard some people talk about is on the EU side of it, it's one of the most heavily patrolled bodies yeah. of water in the world. So just to be able to deliver whatever sent off those two seismic blasts, it's not going to be like a diver with like a motorized boogie board going down. I mean, you, you need something that can really do this. And with the accuracy to hit both pipelines um, in separate blasts, it was definitely something that, you know, sounds nefarious and very coordinated. So still don't think that, that Vladimir Putin did this to himself just for the dollars and cents wise. I think the rest of Europe was kind of probably reeling from the Italian elections last week. In addition to him deciding on who gets natural gas and who doesn't on a daily basis. Um, He's not offering promo code Putin. So nobody's getting big, big (laughs) savings when he gives it out. You know, it's just one of those things. uh, uh, Something had to give and you know, he, well, something is given, and, and he talked about today. We do, unfortunately, have a little bit more Joe Biden we're still working on here. I've got another uh, amazing audio clip of him. Let's hear it. And, uh, you know, it's kind of just looking at the way, speaking of Europe and the EU, how some of the more conservative outlets are looking at him. Just have a listen to how Joe Biden responds to this question about, his, about how exactly how he's described Vladimir Putin in the past. In a weekend interview, Vladimir Putin laughed at the suggestion that you had called him a killer. Is that still your belief, sir, that he is a killer? And I'll continue the trend if you don't mind of asking a second question. Do you believe if he does agree to cooperate, then what kind of a challenge do you find yourself in? How would you ever trust him? And if Ronald Reagan said trust but verify, what do you say to Vladimir Putin? <laughs> To answer the first question, <laughs> I'm laughing too. They actually, I you hear him breathing all heavy. He's well, like, look, I mean, he has made clear that uh, uh, he gets out of breath just standing there. Oh. <laughs> he's old. The answer is, oh, that wasn't the end of the I clip. He's just frozen. He's in the past, essentially acknowledged that he was. Uh, there are certain things that he would do or did do. But look, um, when I was asked that question on air, I answered it honestly. But it's not much of a I, I, I don't think it matters a whole lot in terms of this next meeting we're about to have. 
So I called him a killer for a drive-by headline, but now mm-hmm. since we're going to be in, like, the same area, he's not – I didn't really mean it. He's walking back his own comments now. He doesn't need KGP or Ron Klein to go out there on MSNBC <laughs> and try to say otherwise. It's just uh, complete and total embarrassment, and, and it's continuing to follow him around. Obviously, we're, we are going to segue in News 2 with a little bit of information and coverage of uh, – you know, Hurricane Ivan and what's going on in Florida. But, you know, Joe went over to FEMA headquarters yesterday to a little surprise visit, got lost again, believe it or not. They tried to grab him, but he was already around the corner and into the crowd wandering off after he spoke. But before he got off the podium, everybody started hitting him up with this, you know, stuff that's going on with Russia. Let's hear his short soundbite. Do you hold Russia responsible for the rupture of the Nord Stream pipeline? Let's stick with this, okay? (laughs) There's a lot of important international issues, but we're here to talk about America. Okay, thank you. You don't want to talk about America. (laughs) That's probably the last thing he wants to talk about. Mm -hmm. Wow. She's crazy. Did you guys hear what's going on in Russia today? No. They had had some, Vladimir Putin is is essentially doing a victory lap. Um, You know, they did have their special elections in the disputed regions, Donbass, and a lot of the eastern uh, portions of Ukraine over the course of the week. And it's pretty conflicting stories out of there. You know, everybody says that people are getting, like, you know, driven to the ballot box by boxcar and uh, with knives at their back, forcing to vote for independence from Ukraine. Meanwhile, the people, I mean, social media is all over the place. We see Telegram channels and all over Instagram of people, like, having parties at voting centers and, and voting to leave Ukraine because they know since the United States overthrew that government there in, in 2014 again, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's been something that's not Ukraine first. It's turning into like one of these shitty Western countries where like, you know, there's pronouns and underground clubs where everybody wears fishnet tank tops and stuff like that. And they want to indoctrinate all your kids to think that the military industrial complex and not all the natural resources they have there are the only things that can make your country work. It is going to be via interpreter, but as Putin spoke before his government today, he, he announced quite a few things. Let's hear it. People of Donetsk, Lugansk, Zaporozhye, and Kherson, we are not going to discuss that. The choice was made, and Russia will not betray this choice. And the key authorities, they should see this expression of will with respect. And that's the only way we can reach a peaceful solution. We will protect our lands with every means we have at our disposal. And we will do everything to provide safety for our people. This is the great liberating mission of our people. We will restore destroyed cities and towns, schools, hospitals, theaters, and museums. We will restore and we will develop industrial enterprises, infrastructure, factories, social and pension support, health care and education. And of course, we will raise the level of security together. We will make it so that people in the new region felt the support of the entire people of Russia, of the entire country, of all the republics, of all the regions of our great... So, essentially, Vladimir Putin called on Kyiv today to announce that they have annexed, officially, from Russia's side, the disputed territories. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made claims that they weren't trying to rebuild the Soviet Union again, Obviously, he, and he stated that it was completely the opposite. They were pushing yeah. back against Western oppression. And he called on Kiev to stop all military actions throughout the country and return to the negotiating table, admitting that Russia is finally 
ready to negotiate now that they've gotten what they wanted, which is a little bit more of a backyard and buffer zone in regards to NATO. What do you guys think? He's following on his promise after they broke theirs, you know, their verbal agreement. I mean, what did people expect? Oh, yeah, it's 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 yeah. it's clear cut there. Alan, you think that this uh, gets back to the negotiating table? Uh, you know, Vladimir Zelensky kicked off his heels today long enough <laughs> to make a statement that he was um, signing the official paperwork to get into NATO. That was denied subsequently and then uh, said, Idiot. Ukraine will never negotiate this current skirmish as long as Vladimir Putin is the leader of Russia. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't see that happening. First of all, he's a he's a really bad actor and comedian. We know that uh, he doesn't. He's busy. What, what was the, who was the latest and greatest musical act to visit Ukraine while they were you know in this war with Russia? I don't know. Was it was it the Beatles? I don't know who. No, it was Bono. The Beatles. It was the Beatles. It was you too. You too. I even said the Beatles. It was you too. Yeah. It was you two. That's right. I mean, like, you know how we feel just... about Bono on this show. Oh, <laughs> scissor me timbers. <laughs> it's just uh, all five foot two of them. We know Putin was going to do this. He wanted to, you know, put the band back together. He wanted to reconstruct the Soviet Union. And um, it's, I don't have the stomach for it. Wanted anymore. to reconstruct the Soviet Union? You're what, what's that? Think he wanted to reconstruct the Soviet Union? He, yeah, Vladimir Putin wanted to put back the so, the Soviet Union how it was. He was very vocal on that. He wanted back Kazakhstan and and, and a lot of other areas. I mean, oh, I thought he, he meant like in terms of communism. That's what I was. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me either. But no, it's always been more of like a Westernized hybrid communism that just doesn't look as bad. Like you get to wear the Levi's and eat the peanut butter this time, but you still have to like give all your wealth to the government. <laughs> it's like right. communism now. Um, but don't worry, because while all this shit's going on, Joe Biden got his uh, act together. He did just now in real time weigh in on this issue. Uh, not Russia annexing everything, but uh, what's going on with the Nord Stream? Let's hear it. Enhance the protection of this critical infrastructure. And at the appropriate moment when things calm down, we're going to be sending divers down to find out exactly what happened. We don't know that yet exactly, but we're not, just don't listen to what Putin is saying. What he's saying we know is not true. (laughs) And don't worry, because listen, for all of us patriots and steak for breakfast, enjoyers out there 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 was a glimmer of hope from joe biden as well but there's a lot more we can do but we have to do it together to restore the soul of america when i ran i said one of the reasons i was running literally was to restore the soul of america bring back some decency and honor in the way we talk about one another the way we deal with one another is this the same fucking guy that talked in independence hall last month literally Restore the soul when you when you don't even have one yourself. Exactly. You, you were the sacrificing the soul of America where they signed the Constitution in August. And, and that's, you know what? This all feeds into this whole, you know, news one portion of our show today and his cognitive decline. And it's not just us dunking on him. It's the truth of it. Any normal sane person would remember, like, didn't I say the complete fucking opposite of this a month ago? Like, in an address to the nation? I'm just doing, like, a little press conference today. And, uh, 
you know, not only am I trying to inflame uh, the Russia situation with Ukraine, but I'm also going to tell everybody we want to heal up their souls after I literally curb stomped over 100 million U.S. citizens just a month ago. It's ridiculous. And, uh, you know, it, it leads into exactly the way this regime operates. And, you know, on that note, we're going to bring in one of our great friends who's going to talk about some of the things uh, that are going on behind the scenes that you might not know the whole story about, but you're definitely going to be inclined to listen. All right, coming in next with us here. She's back. It's a return guest, one of our favorites, probably one of the more important segments you'll ever hear on Steak for Breakfast. She's the founder of the Patriot Freedom Project. And uh, it's our absolute pleasure to be hosting her again. Cynthia Hughes, thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here again. Oh, it's our pleasure. How's everything going with you, ma'am? You've been pretty busy uh, getting, just doing a lot of stuff over the last couple months since we've talked. Yeah, um, you know, more rest, more family connection, trials are starting, sentencings are happening. Families need to travel to D.C. We're helping, you know, facilitate that, set up hotel rooms, um, you know, be in the courtroom with as many families as we can. The Oath Keeper trial started on Tuesday. They got a jury together. They got a jury together uh, in two days for five for five defendants. In two days, they got a jury together. Very alarming. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what opening arguments bring on Monday. Yeah. Did it did it surprise you at all? Um, because of some of the things that came out uh, recently regarding the whole January 6th committee and how much of a like nothing burger that even the, pro- the progressive left news was kind of making it. I'm just going to say like the Steve Bannon stuff, the Roger Stone stuff. It's all very dated. Nothing was really groundbreaking or you know connected any of that stuff to Donald Trump like they're trying to do. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that they said they you know held off on their most recent edition of the committee because of the hurricane. I thought it was just pretty funny how weather can you know make the thing that was supposedly worse than every 9-11 you know Hiroshima Nagasaki and all that other stuff put together worse just because of a hurricane I just thought it was pretty silly to say the least yeah it, it, it is it's it's very it's the timing of the people that opposed January 6th so hard and are working overtime to bring down 45 um, the timing of everything they do is very convenient um, very strategically planned, in my opinion. Uh, you know, we're we're well over 900 people now that are, you know, arrested, charged, and indicted in this. Over 100 people remain behind bars. People think that everybody's in the D.C. jail, and we only have about 23 people in the D.C. jail. So we have Virginia, we have North Carolina, Oklahoma, Georgia, New York, Florida. Um, they're spread out around the country, and it's it's a real travesty. Now, what's going on in the D.C. jail? is not happening as much in the other jails. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of abuse. I mean, they're still sitting in solitary confinement in DC only, only in DC. You got to wonder the mentality of these people and the power trip that they're on, that they're allowing this. It's very, very alarming. Now I'm sure, you know, or maybe you don't know, but uh, my nephew went to sentencing last week. Yeah. And now he has no violent charges, no assault charges, some controversy around him, unfortunately. Um, Some stupid decisions he's made um, over the course of his life, unrelated to January 6th. And we have a judge who said, even though I'm going to deny the request of the prosecution to keep you in jail for seven and a half years, I still think you need to sit in jail for four years, even though you don't have criminal history, 
even though you served in the army for 12 years and you have no violent charges. So I don't see this improving anytime soon. Um, And even with the midterm elections coming up, no matter who we get into office, whether they're a Republican, whether they're a Democrat, and they have some sense about themselves, we still have Joe Biden as the president, and more importantly, we still have Merrick Garland as the AG. And so there lies the problem. Until a grown-up steps forward and says, okay, enough is enough, these people deserve due process, this is what we're going to be living with. Yeah, it's just a shame to see people like, you know, I, I heard Steven Crowder make a really good analogy about it. I don't know if you caught it this week. He did. And it's extremely comical, but the facts that he puts in there, he kind of did the entire timeline of where we are to right now because they canceled the January 6th hearing. And he did like a two and a half hour show and just from start to finish and kind of just debunked every perspective that the committee's trying to give you, which is an extremely skewed one. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that regardless of what role, let's say your nephew or any of the other people in the DC jail or the over, you know, 800 plus that are in jails across the country, they're not getting the same due process that 9-11 terrorists have eventually got. You know, we were able to determine that people that were caught in foreign countries whose only intent, they put it out on video, on internet, social media, was to come to this country and kill Americans now have more due process than the people who paraded and protested in and around the Capitol on January 6th. It's, it's, there's never been anything like this before publicly. Who knows what goes on behind the scenes? This might be an overall playing of the hand of how sometimes people just disappear when they, when they don't want them uh, you know, out there getting a message across and they don't really have you know, uh, as much of a public presence as someone is like, let's say, a politician. Like you, you Believe it. I mean, Cynthia, I'm pretty sure you could agree. This January 6th committee and probably a lot of people in Washington, D.C. overall would like to see Donald Trump go through the same exact treatment that like your nephew's going through. Hands down, like there's no doubt about it. A hundred percent. That's what this whole thing is about. Anybody that thinks that this is about anything other than bringing down Donald Trump is a fool, to be very honest with you. This has always been about him. Anything to keep him off the ballot in 24 anything to further the hate against him, anything to cause harm to his family. Um, And I've always said, in my opinion, and I've said this to him, um, I feel very strongly that he has a broken heart about what's going on with his true supporters. Because you have to know, a lot of people went to the Capitol on January 6th with very bad intentions. There were a lot of people there that say they were supportive of Donald Trump, but they were not. Right. And we have to be very, very clear about that. But his true supporters, this is killing him. This breaks his heart. He doesn't want to see a wife working three jobs now because she's got to pick up the slack from her husband being in jail or her husband being on home confinement or her husband losing his job. And maybe things are, you know, uh, adjudicated for him and he can't find a job. He doesn't want to see young children having to change schools or relocate because they were evicted from their apartment after a violent raid on their home. The list is long. You're dealing with people that have no regard for the American people, this group of American people. And it's very, very, very concerning. More people need to be talking about this and talking out about this. This is a well-organized machine to take down one man and people are going to get stepped on and tormented and their lives are going to be obliterated like they already have. 
just to get to that guy. And it's really pretty sick. And it's not just Democrats. Everybody thinks, oh, it's a Democrats, it's a Democrats. No. There's a lot of Republicans involved in this a lot. Yeah, I mean, there's two so-called Republicans sitting on the committee as chairs, in addition to all the other people who behind the scenes who have not come out and publicly supported either these, you know, average American citizens getting their constitutional rights violated, like in unprecedented levels or things that have, you know, happened to Donald Trump. And we do know we talked to pretty much everybody in Trump world so far on our show, except Donald Trump, which which we feel is eventually going to happen as part of the natural progression. But everybody says it like he's doing great. He feels strong. But when you talk, start talking about out stuff like this emotionally it is just absolutely draining to the guy and, and he hates to see it because when he goes out to those rallies which is what i want to segue next you know a couple weeks ago we played a portion of your speaking at at the trump pennsylvania rally and it was really emotionally driven it sounded like the audience which was massive there was just very uh you know receptive of the message you had and, and obviously you know w- with with donald trump having you come up on stage and, and get a portion of the of the speaking circuit there it, it's it's got to mean that he's really uh dedicated to getting behind the message that you're trying to get out for all of these people who've just kind of been sucked up in this big mess that like these politicians don't even believe what they say they talk out of one side of their mouth to like the politically uneducated people out there with like drive by talking points that are like you know they can be scary you see how they do it on the news they say this that and the other thing and then while that's being said they'll have you know the pictures of people like pushing the bike racks on police officers or what was going on in like like little tunnel but when you talk about the near million people who were actually there that day i mean for the most part and overall it wasn't really anything like they're trying to describe how it was yeah i mean I want to be careful right now because but there's so much I could tell you and sure. so much I could say to you. Everything is under protective order about, and I don't want to be in trouble. Um, but the things that I am hearing from a lot of the families that they're hearing from their loved ones, it's very, very, very alarming. This was a very, like I said, a very well-organized machine. My nephew in particular has said to me, he went to all the other Stop the Steel rallies. He said this one was very different. The other stop the steel rallies, you had vendors on the street. You had porta potties. Your stores were open. This one, he said it was like everything was you know, sealed up and, and shut down. No vendors. Why? Why? And you know, I'll tell you something else I think the American people need to know. You know, the portion of the jail in DC where these guys are housed was a portion of the jail that was closed for several years. Yeah. I'm hearing up to 10 years or whatever. You've got to wonder, how did they know to open up that that part of the jail? What were they anticipating? What were they planning? People ask me, who do you mean when you say they? Who who do I mean? Republicans, Democrats, independents, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, feds, fed ops, you know, people that had, you know, maybe they were in jail and, and this was an opportunity for them to shave off jail time. So they, they, you know, they went and helped the feds out. I mean, there is a lot to unpack here and discuss. And it's not being talked about enough. That is the biggest problem of all. And now you have a ton of women and a ton of ch- children. And this has always been my mission from the beginning of this, who are suffering. We have a woman who was in the courtroom on um, Wednesday. Now, this is a wife who has physically not been able to see her husband in a year and a half. Think about that. 
hasn't been able to see her husband in a year and a half. She goes into the courtroom. She sees her husband for the first time. She writes him a love note. She says to him, baby, you look so good in your new shirt that I got you. And I miss you. You're my king. I love you. Blah, 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 blah. So the marshal, one of the marshals sees her pass the note to the lawyer. The marshal is looking over the lawyer's shoulder. He's reading all the notes, all the discovery, all the things that are going on between this man and his lawyer at trial. And he makes a big production about it. So the judge has to get involved and the note gets passed to the judge and the judge reading this love note, Mm. a love note between a woman and her husband, a woman that has not seen her husband in a year and a half. This is sick. And and the public needs to hear these stories. Just what I told you. Well, certainly- I don't even know what to say anymore. Yeah, I mean, covering it in in the way that you do and supporting these people in the way that you have is is probably the best thing that you can keep on doing because it's just you're giving more than most people could even think about doing. And it's, it's something that we can't even put into words on this show, how appreciative of you are this. I'm not just telling the stories, but actually being there with support and, and, and following up with a spine, which is what we're not seeing from a lot of our people up on Capitol Hill. Now, I, I do have to say we, we have had so many dozens of, you know, people on this show who are running these elections and the, want and desire to get in there after the midterm elections and impeach Joe Biden and impeach Merrick Garland's for the things that they've done, especially things directly tied to January 6th when it comes to to Merrick Garland and the absolute weaponization of the DOJ and the FBI that he's committed since he's taken office is just, you know, some of the things that just give me hope sometimes that these kids are going to be able to see the light of day at some time relatively soon after they get their, you know, swift due process which is the the last thing that they're getting right now and and it just seems like they're trying to put them in such dire straits that they want them to break and admit to things that they didn't do just so they can get this whole thing over with and i think that's like probably part of the biggest tragedy that a lot of people don't even realize at this moment yeah it's true it's true but i'll tell you you know you would think you know getting a plea deal would be would shave off time, would, would give these people, you know, a, um, a quicker uh, way to get home to their families. We're not seeing that. You know, we had a guy on Tuesday, Kyle Young. He's accused of some serious stuff. There's no question about it. He took a plea deal. You know what he got on Tuesday at sentencing? He got 87 months. Oof. 87 months. And let me tell you, when he got arrested, him and his wife had just had a baby. The baby was like a couple of months old. Wow. That child is not even going to know her daddy when he comes home. We have a guy that's going to sentencing in a few weeks. He's going to get more than 86 months. Because, you know, in federal charges, when you have federal charges, they look at, you know, so many things. They look at um, your criminal history. They look at the, the, the nature of your charges. Like they go through this whole, you know, what they call the point system. And let me tell you, anybody that has a previous history, you know, with any kind of criminal activity, they're screwed. I hate to say it, but they're screwed. This is what we're going to be dealing with and living in until the next presidential election. And God willing, we get a president in the office that looks at this and says, okay, I want to look at these cases. I want to see, you know, are there people that are, you know, wrongfully convicted or egregiously sentenced and we need to get them home back to their families. There's nobody doing that right now. No, I will tell you this Marjorie Taylor green, 
I, I wish you, I wish everybody could see my face right now. She <laughs> is a warrior. Yeah. I mean, she's the only one. She has tried to get back into jail. They're refusing to let her in the jail, denying her to go into the jail. Even now, her, Representative Gomer, uh, Andy Biggs, Troy Nels, they're the only ones that are doing anything. They're banging their heads into the wall and nothing is happening. When I was at the Ohio Trump rally two weeks ago, mm-hmm. I saw Congressman Jim Jordan. He's a love. Who doesn't love Jim Jordan? He's an absolute love. It was the first time I met him, but I asked him, do you know who Jessica Watkins is? He said, no. I said, okay, do you know who Matthew Perna is? He said, no. I said, that's a problem, Mr. Jordan. And you need to write those names down and you need to go and do your due diligence and figure out how you're going to help your constituents. Matthew Perna hung himself on February 25th of 2022. You have a family who is obliterated, devastated, a father who was broken over the loss of his son. Why are we not talking about this anymore? Why are we not making a huge deal about the loss of Matthew Perna's life? Yep. It's it's terrible. No, it certainly is, and uh, it's it's only my hope that people like Representative Jordan. You know, once he gets up to be the head of the judiciary after the midterm elections, when we win back the House, is going to really break this whole thing wide open because we know he has a really strong relationship, not only with President Trump, but works well with Marjorie Taylor Greene. And you know, it, you did mention a lot of those warriors who who are out there have been the only ones out there. You know, there's so many prospective people that like Joe Kent. Joe Kent has done, I think, more January 6th support stuff than any of the people who are running in races across the country at his own risk because of how they demonize people for showing any kind of compassion or support for these people. And, uh, you know, he's one of the people that I'm really excited about getting up on Capitol Hill because in addition to all the other stuff he talks about and all the other experience he has, both as a veteran and, and someone who worked for the CIA, this is something that he really wants to work on as well. And, and moving forward, we can only hope more of those, you know, like Trump-endorsed America First candidates can get in on November 8th and, and get to the bottom of what's going on here. First offedly by blowing up that committee and, and and second of all, letting the American people know the entire story of what went on, not just on that day, but the events leading up to it and then how they decided to pick and choose who they were going to throw in jail and and, and who they weren't going to prosecute. Obviously, people like Ray Epps and all the other Jalen X has already, you know, gone through whatever with him and he's out running the streets again, making videos and stuff. And, you know, for, for the country that got burned down in 2020 and then you saw the other stuff, you know, there was like literally an attack on the White House. Uh, during during the summer of love, they they burnt down a portion of that historical church that's on the White House property. None of those people got in any trouble. None of them went to jail or anything like that. And then you see what happened on January sixth, and it's like you said, and, and admittedly so, some people were charged with and may have done some stuff that they shouldn't have done. But but, but overallly, it was it was not what the radical regime that's in power right now makes it to be and it's going to be one of their only talking points in addition to abortion ending medicare and ending social security that they try to tie into the midterm election campaign rallies so they can try to stop the republicans from getting in and hopefully getting this country back on the right track Cynthia, we need to make this a more frequent event, and we want to be able to bring you back, hopefully on a monthly basis. We know you're busy with your travel, but we could always coordinate with Erica behind the scenes. I think it's important for our listenership to not only be in the know, but to be able to support the great things that you're doing for all these uh, you know, men and women out there. So if you want to give us like the website and any social medias we could find you on, we're going to live link them in the show today, and we're really going to pump it out to hope get some uh, resources in there to help you continue to fight this fight. 
Uh, I appreciate it so much. We, we do. We, we, need, we need so much support. Uh, you know, we need donations. They've slowed down quite a bit. Um, you know, you can go to patriotfreedomproject.com. You can see all the ways you can support our efforts, the way you can support the families. We have all the holidays coming up. These women, they need a lot of help. Uh, you know, we don't want to have them choose, uh, am I paying the mortgage, am I paying the rent, or am I buying my three children a Christmas present? Right. You know, we have families that have lost health insurance. You know, we're helping pay COBRA payments, and we want to continue to do that. So if you go to patriotfreedomproject.com, you'll be able to find all the ways you can support us. You can find us on Truth Social. You can find us on, dare I say it, Twitter. <laughs> um, you can find us on Instagram and, uh, you know, all all the, you know, Getter, Gab, um, you know, big shout out to our, you know, to our, our favorite Steve Bannon. Yep. He's so supportive of our efforts and, and Patriot Freedom Project. And, uh, you know, we, we support Steve, what they're doing to Steve, what they're doing to Dr. Navarro, what they're doing to people like that. Um, it just shows you the bias in this country and the determination that some people in this country have all to go after one man. We should all be very alarmed by that and, and really be unaccepting of it. Yeah, and all the people who continue to remain loyal to him are the ones that are getting it, you know, the hardest. You've already mentioned Steve Bannon. Dr. Navarro is a recurring guest on our show. He was just on with us Tuesday and gave a little bit of insight into the million dollars in legal fees that he's had to come up with just to defend himself for fake charges. And, you know, Mike, yeah. Mike Lindell can't even get a bacon western double cheeseburger at, at Hardee's before he gets hemmed up by the FBI. You know, all the man does is want a cheeseburger. So it's one of those things... Listen, for as an emotional segment as this has been, we have to laugh a little bit because of all the awesome work yes. that you're doing. We really do love and appreciate you. We're praying for you and hoping for all the good stuff that you're doing is, is going to bear massive amounts of fruit. If it takes till after the midterm, so be it. But, you know, it's not like you're going to let up on the fight anytime soon. This is the founder of the Patriot Freedom Project, one of our great friends, Cynthia Hughes. Thanks for coming back on Steak for Breakfast. Oh, thank you, guys. Love you guys so much. Thank you. You take care. While rescue crews are assessing damage and sifting through rubble, the liberal media has been hard at work, smearing Florida Governor Ron DeSantis because, well, that's what they do. Governor Ron DeSantis is going to be put to the test, forced to actually do his job when he's used to spending most of his time hanging out on Fox News and owning the libs. This is the quote from Governor DeSantis about climate change. Quote, I am not in the pews of the church of the global warming leftists. This is what he thinks about climate change. And now his state is getting hit with one of the worst hurricanes that will ever see. It's a bit ironic now that you might have Floridians having to actually pour over the borders um, and go north uh, and get out of the state of Florida. And then they wonder why we're such a divided country. The media loves attacking DeSantis, but when you add in the climate angle, it's like Christmas morning. MSNBC contributor Rachel Vindman, the wife of Alexander Vindman, you may remember him from such shows as Impeachment Part One. Mm. Mrs. Vindman writes this, we should use they them pronouns for Hurricane Ian to annoy DeSantis. Yes, nothing would annoy Ron DeSantis more than a non-binary hurricane. You really know how to get under the guy's skin. (laughs) Then Mrs. Vindman apologized, not to Ron, but to the trans community. (laughs) I'm not sure why she even apologized to the trans community. I would assume we're just months away from Hurricane RuPaul anyway. Can you tell us what this is and what effect climate change has on this phenomenon? 
We, we can come back and talk about climate change uh, at a later time. I want to focus on the here and now. What, what effect does climate change have on this phenomenon that, that is happening now? Because it seems these storms are intensifying. Oh. That's the question. Here. I don't think you can link climate change to any one event. Okay. Listen, I grew up there <laughs> and these storms are intensifying. Something is causing them to int intensify. Oh. Wow, he got schooled. He doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I mean, in a time when we should be coming together, they're looking to exploit natural disasters to hurt Republican presidential candidates. Mm. Well, that's how the mainstream media and, and all of our legacy counterparts are uh, outside of the state of Florida and in the very small scope of conservatism. If that's a word. Hang on, let me do it myself. Oh. Got it. Um, you know, looked at this whole annually reoccurring event that happens all the time for a lot of the Gulf Coast states. Uh, very sad to see a lot of the destruction and some death in Florida. But, you know, most of the reports are saying Joe Biden communicated at least four or five times with Ron DeSantis. Uh, mm -hmm. The director of FEMA had everything ready to go. And, and as far as his job in regards to, you know, the governorship of, of the Sunshine State, Ron DeSantis did about the best job he could have. I mean, you can't literally go to people's houses as much as this regime would like to rip them out of it, put them in boxcars and transport them to another state uh, to avoid dying. But, you know, that's just the way it is during hurricane season. I grew up in the Northeast. We had hurricanes all the time, a couple really bad ones. I remember like 1985-ish, six, Hurricane Gloria. Hurricane uh, Gloria, 1985. Yeah, ruined my whole neighborhood, put, uh, mm -hmm. put our whole, you know, portion of our house underwater, took off part of our roof. And, uh... You know, we did what everybody else did. We got in the car and we, we sat on the Garden State Parkway for three hours to make a 45-minute trip north to go stay at my grandma's house inland. And uh, that, that's kind of the way it is. Antoinette, you, you've been to Florida and have family that live there. You know what it's like. Yeah, I was going to actually move and live exactly where, where it hit the hardest, Fort Myers, Naples area. It's really sad and I'm, I'm glad. It's sad to say it, but I'm really glad we decided to not. Um no matter what people did, it, the storm last minute changed direction yep. and, and intensified. They, yeah. And even if they wanted to leave, they were, there was no escaping. It It was that big four yeah. hours left, right, north, south, east, west. There was no escaping it. So the best thing that they could do is shelter in place. Yeah. And there was a lot of people on uh, the, for when the storm actually made landfall, who was like, Oh, we're going to bring on the mayor of this person. We're going to bring on the mayor of, uh, of this town and that town. And, and they're all talking like, yeah, we were supposed to get hit dead center and thank God it missed us. But it sucks for the people who didn't really have the opportunity to evacuate or, or shut her down as much because of the drastic change it made at the end. Big Dick Ron, non-presidential candidate DeSantis who's already had $15 million just in donations come into the state, uh, gave a little update this morning. I want to play that for our listenership. The National Guard out assisting people. Uh, there have been more than 700 confirmed rescues, and there's likely uh, many more than that uh, that will be confirmed as more data comes in. Uh, people have been rescued from places like Fort Myers, Fort Myers Beach, Sanibel, uh, Marco Island, as well as the Barrier Islands in Charlotte County. Uh, obviously, there was a lot of um, calls coming in as the storm was really raging yesterday. Uh, people uh, who did not evacuate were hunkered down. There was storm surge. There was a lot of, of, um, uh, of apprehension, understandably. When initially the first responders came this morning, People would wave them down, uh, whether they were by helicopter, boat, or high-water vehicle. Now what they're finding is on places like Sanibel, 
Most of the residents are just waving thank you for coming, but they say that they're fine uh, and that they're staying put. Now, I think that there's going to be issues with being on some of those islands uh, because they're not going to have services like we expect uh, for quite some time, given the limitations of transportation. Uh, but nevertheless, that, that's a sign that, that some of the folks who did ride it out uh, ha are stabilized uh, in their home. Uh, they are first responders are doing uh, targeted searches, just going home by home, checking to see um, if people are okay, and then responding to specific reports uh, if they're missing loved ones. Uh, there will, can, of course, be uh, many more rescues that are added uh, to the tiller. Uh, now, we, we absolutely expect to have mortality from this hurricane, but I just caution people, you know, there's a process by where that is confirmed, um, and there's I know that people have said certain things. Um, in terms of confirmed, uh, that will be made apparent over the coming days. Um, but, but I think the things that have been said out there, that is not something that has been confirmed at this, at this juncture. Uh, of course, we have uh, thousands and thousands of people on the ground uh, working to restore power, uh, opening the roads, bringing in food and water, and restoring communications. <laughs> Talking with uh, local folks in Lee County, uh, probably the biggest immediate hurdle that they're facing is their county water utility had a big water main break. Uh, that is necessary to be fixed in order to provide basic water services uh, for the residents of the county. So they have been working to troubleshoot it. They requested uh, the state to enlist federal support to help diagnose and potentially fix the problem. Uh, so we worked with FEMA and, and Gracia. Okay, and the there's Army Corps uh, Engineers, Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, uh, who's been. So, I mean, pretty standard update. I know that a lot of the uh, progressive news outlets had gone and, you know, went and inflated the numbers already and we're saying there was hundreds of deaths and, you know, just blowing things out of proportion. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's one of those things where we can't really know those numbers until, like he said, they come out. There's a process for that. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you just can't make those deductions without physically going home to home or getting, you know, calls for help and having uh, obviously neighbors and loved ones confirm that stuff. So thoughts and prayers go out to the people of Florida. Um, you know, we, this storm is re-intensifying, should be hurricane status again if it's not already by the time you're listening to it. And it looks like the people of South Carolina are up on the docket next for uh, hunkering down. So... Mm -hmm. I mean, what what can you say? This is part of the normal hurricane season that's been affecting the country probably since long before we discovered it. And, and moving forward, we'll probably see a few more bad hurricanes to, uh, you know, say the least. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, this one was like the worst they've ever had in many, many, many years. Yeah. yeah. It's like once in what did, I think DeSantis said once in 500 year sort of hurricane. So yeah, no, definitely prayers for everybody. And, uh, the people that are next for this. And, uh, unfortunately, you have, you know, like we just heard, the left politicizing it. And yep. even administrators, Biden-appointed administrators at FEMA were criticizing it, yep. where a reporter asked DeSantis, oh, according to a, a FEMA administrator, whoever the name was, you know, your laxed response. And he declared a state of emergency before I believe it even got to hurricane status or, well, it was or before it hit Cuba. And, you know... The, the response has been great. This is a large hurricane, one of the largest they've ever seen in a very long time, like you just mentioned, Antoinette. The hurricane season goes from June to November, okay? Like the beginning of June, 
to the end of November. This hurricane hit right in the middle of hurricane season where we've had hurricane seasons in the past. We've had many hurricanes make landfall or tropical storms that turned into hurricanes and a lot more uh, storm activity. We haven't even heard a lot in the news media about, oh, tropical storm so-and-so, tropical storm so-and-so, where I think like last hurricane season, they were tracking like one tropical storm after another out in the, in the, in the, in the ocean. So, you know, Democrat policies are not going to save the world from hurricanes, tornadoes, wildfires, and earthquakes. It didn't work. It's not working in California. They still have their earthquakes and their wildfires. Hurricanes and tornadoes will always be here. And they, the left and the progressives and the media will always politicize it and say, you know, if you vote for Republicans, you know, you want a civil war. And now you want more hurricanes and tornadoes, vote for Republicans. And it's all complete bullshit they will always be here climate change i'm sorry man bear pig is not real people don't you dare so, make me and i'm super super serial don't make me pull out my clip of ron coleman <laughs> <laughs> that's only for special occasions i don't know if you guys heard this week uh we funded the government again for a couple months we passed a continuing resolution to uh since we haven't had a budget since i don't know the 90s uh, and and you know there was so much crap in this. I'm going to give you just a couple little sprinkles, taste of it. Um, Jim Jordan gave an impassioned speech uh, in the lower chamber uh, the day before it was passed and, and talked about some of the money that's getting, you know, directed to all those great places that we love, like the Department of Justice and the FBI. Uh, let's hear the representative from Ohio. This bill would actually give $140 million to the DOJ so they can work with, continue to do what they're already doing, work with big tech to censor certain information from getting to we the people. And why do I say that? Because we know it happened. Just a month ago, Mark Zuckerberg said the FBI come and told him not to allow the story about Hunter Biden's laptop to be on their platform. They gave him the old wink, wink. Oh, we think this is Russian disinformation, which we know it wasn't. And now we're going to give that agency $140 million more million to go collude with big tech to keep we the people from getting valuable information before the most important election that we have, the election of the commander-in-chief of our country? Mm. <sighs> Bringing up Donald Trump in the halls of Congress. I like it. Mm -hmm. You know what I didn't like was all of the bullshit that was tied into this bill that's going to appropriate more money for foreign workers and some of the most historically old uh, fraudulent seekers of citizenship in the United States. Nancy Pelosi, believe it or not, was hyped because if H-1Bs aren't coming in here to uh, pick the weeds off of her front lawn, then who will? Let's hear the speaker. We have a shortage of workers in our country, and you oh. see even in Florida, some of the farmers and the growers saying, why are you shipping these uh, immigrants oh. up north? We need them to pick the crops down here. Wow. Wow. Very spicy. Wow. Pseudo racist. How dare you shuttle them and fly them to Kamala Harris's front yard in Martha's Vineyard? The strawberries <laughs> need a picking in Florida. Um, you can't make this shit up. No, you can't. And, and you, did you see her get hung up? She didn't know what to call them. She's like, you know, we need a lot of these yeah. immigrants. <laughs> okay, first of all, crazy Nancy, the immigrants aren't the ones that are picking the crops. Those are foreign workers that are supposed to be on visas, and when they're done, they're supposed to return to their country of origin. 
However, we all know what happens. They either abandon their visas, go into the wind. Uh, you know, Gavin Newsom passed a law today that's going to make it across the board legal for every single person who comes into this country illegally to have a valid driver's license, not just an ID anymore. And we all know what happens at the DMV when you go to get your driver's license for the first time as an adult. Are you registered to vote? Mm. <laughs> Can't wait. Oh, uh, man. So, yeah, well, he knows he's going to be running for president in 2024, so you got to bump the numbers up. Uh, <laughs> seems like one of the only people who's got their friggin' head wrapped around anything on, on Capitol Hill lately is uh, Representative Matt Gates, obviously one of our favorites. Um, you know, he was talking about this bill, and I saw him going back and forth with uh, Uncle Steve on War Room the other day, and they were just talking about how ridiculous this money spending is and, and how they can't really figure out a way to stop this administration other than, you know, winning at the ballot box. And, and Matt Gates pretty much said like, there is one simple way to, to take care of this problem. And, and that's pretty much, you know, you've got to shut the government down. Uh, if you're not going to put things in the bill that are America first and actually they're America last, when you have the speaker of the house, like do, taking a victory lap because of all the foreign visa workers that are be coming in on this continuing resolution, just to keep our government open. Then, then how could you ever expect to, uh, you know, get anything done for the American people, which they haven't since the beginning of this? So I, I just think that, you know, getting this close to the midterms, it, it's one of those things where you, you have to keep in mind these are like all of those little extras that you never hear about that get put into these bills. And, uh, you know, we, we do have to give a little little homage to the midterms moving forward. But before we do, um, no, actually, yeah, let's let's do a little midterm. Jesse Waters was on the show with Greg Gutfield and all those other people hanging out. Let's hear them talk about the midterms. Your boss has a terrible record to run on and told elected Democrats to run away from Joe Biden. They've had two years with full total control and their midterm message is Republicans are extremists, yep. which is a hoax. That's pretty crazy. I mean, they can't run on the infrastructure bill. They didn't build anything. What else are they going to run on? Are they going to run on COVID relief? Everybody got COVID. Everybody got COVID. What are you going to run on COVID relief? And it actually triggered inflation. Are you going to run on the Inflation Reduction Act? That didn't reduce inflation at all. Are you going to run on the border? Border crossings are up. Are you going to run on crime? Crime's up. Are you going to run on foreign policy? Disgraced us in Afghanistan. And there's a land war in Europe. You can't run on that. What are you going to run on the economy? Stock market's down. Under Joe Biden, wages are down. Under Joe Biden, we're losing money. And then the media comes out and you're spinning polls like crazy. Oh, he's got momentum. The Democrats are, you know, got the Republicans right. <laughs> I think where Jesse they might listen to the show. No, this is my he's first monologue down. like three he's weeks ago. And he's losing us money. So you're, you're looking at a Biden presidency that's a total fraud. 81 million votes. He can't even do a rally. And the pool camera doesn't pull out because no one showed up. And the Biden rally's free. I told you guys the other day, the whole motorcade crossed by deep blue Manhattan. No one clapped. It was like the oh, prime minister well, of Yugoslavia. To be fair, they were getting <laughs> mugged. They were getting mugged. True story. Yeah. And they said, please don't shoot me. Yeah, yeah. Someone tied a bandana around their mouth and they had a, they're sticking them up. Same thing with Kamala. They gave us this great woman, first female oh, vice yeah. president, you know, Woman of color, she's a laughing stock. Just black like a Nancy enough. Pelosi, she goes out in this deep blue city, goes up in front of a bunch of millennials. They're there for climate change, and she gets booed. Democrats' midterm message should be: 
I'm sorry, I'm just here for the insider trading. No, that's 100%. <laughs> that, that was, I thought that was probably one of the best clips that we've pulled in a while. And I like Jesse Waters. He's, yeah. He he's tries to live within like the Tucker boundaries. Obviously, we know they, they hold him back a little bit, but he does also hammer Lady G the last two times he was on his show as well, that little yeah. pig-faced gremlin. But when, you, but when you look at it, we've outlined what the Democrats' plan is. Their plan is to project and say the Republicans have no plan. Newt Gingrich and Kevin McCarthy and Donald Trump sat down and they got that commitment to America you know, thing going that will be like the start of the blueprint for where hopefully they go after the midterm. That's number one. They also say that re- Republicans and conservatives are going to sunset uh, Medicare and Social Security, two things that are, I would say, 85-ish percent false. They do need to rework some of the things to make sure that that stuff stays uh, you know, part of the federal government and as services for the people moving forward because it, it's a flawed plan that, that does have pretty much an end date in, in the next 20 to 30 years. Conservatives are also going to outlaw abortion. Again, unequivocally false. Uh, abortion's been sent back to the states. That's the only thing that the Roe v. Wade decision has done. And, you know, the only people who are going to decide on whether or not abortion is legal in your state is the people that the constituents who live there vote into office. That's everybody from like your state Senate to judges. So if you really want abortion, get a group of people together, get a grassroots movement going and go lobby to get those candidates, those George Soros funded globalists into office. So you guys can have free for all mail-in abortions. Um, But that's another thing. And then January 6th, they're trying to keep it relevant as much as they can. So no plan. Medicare and uh, Social Security getting sunsetted, abortion in January 6th. That is the Democrat platform for the midterm elections. Yes. All that does is set our country back. It's probably been set back a decade just in the last two years, everywhere from foreign and domestic, including our economy, which was down another two fucking points yesterday. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to have any retirement left. It's like I'm literally just... Every two weeks, my retirement's going like right into the wood chipper. I should yes. stop donating money to it uh, or allocating money to it right now because it's a uh, nightmare. I, but well, uh, I, he uh, makes uh, a lot on, of sense, right? On that, on that retirement, like literally, you know, I'm self-employed, so I have you know SEP IRAs, Roth IRAs. I'm in mutual funds. I don't really play the heavy stock market, and I look at my accounts, you know, every day, and you know, I. I uh, I just from last week, I was I'm down like eighteen thousand dollars. It's on. It's unbelievable. And then b- before that, you know, in January, I was down like eighty thousand, yeah. and it was creeping up. Like it is ridiculous. But just you know, with their running platform, the Democrats, and, and what you just mentioned, Roan, they better figure it out because. Jen Psaki herself, Miss Circleback, who was defending and defending as her job at the podium with the Biden regime on NBC, just with Chuck Todd, literally said her exact words were if the midterm elections are a referendum on Biden's first two years in office, Democrats will lose their majorities. And out of her mouth said that Democrats are extremely vulnerable on crime yeah. in cities. So out of Jen Psaki's mouth. No, I like it. And uh, it's 100% true. It's something that they can't run from, especially in some of those, uh, you know, battleground states where they have historically important and big cities, urban areas that have been controlled by Democrats forever. You're seeing a lot of walkaways in this election cycle. A good friend of of the 45th president and uh, former Fox News falafel enjoyer, Bill O'Reilly, sat down with, um, who was he on yesterday? Uh, Greg Kelly and was talking about some of the things that, you know, 
towards the end of the first presidency and now into the Save America rally circuit for the midterm elections have heard Donald Trump historically. And it's okay for Bill O'Reilly to be critical of him. They're actually real good friends that are doing that whole American history whatever tour. Uh, and, you know, they, they probably talk about a lot of stuff that Donald Trump's got to buff out before, you know, he makes the uh, announcement shortly thereafter the midterm elections. Let's hear him kind of weigh in on uh, moving forward and looking past the midterms. Say this about Donald Trump. He's been famous I mean, household name famous for about 40 years, and he's managed to keep it together and even kind of build on it. Is Donald Trump uniquely skilled at handling fame in a, guy, in a way that these guys weren't? I think Donald Trump's fame has hurt him. I wrote a book called The United States of Trump, and you're absolutely right. From age 10, he wanted to be famous. But he has to be in the center of attention every day. And in order to do that, you have to whip up controversy. You have to do things that ultimately I some wish of Greg them Kelly came back and writing while Bill O'Reilly was talking. I'll give you an example. <laughs> uh, a woman named Maggie Haberman writes for the New York Times. She has over the years excoriated Trump brutally, brutally excoriated him. He gives her access, three interviews for her new book, which is going to again, rip Trump's throat out. Why would you do that? Because Trump wants to be the center of attention, even if it's negative attention. And I think that has hurt him. I think he would have been reelected because he did do a good job as president without all the so-called baggage of a controversy du jour. Let me run this by you on Donald Trump, because I often wonder myself, why is he giving interviews to hostile reporters? But yeah. most people, most people are not going to read Maggie Haberman's book, no matter how well it does. But they will see that Donald Trump is on the cover of it and being famous, being uh, being out there every day might work to his advantage in terms of enhance if he wants to be visible. Anyway, I guess I'm getting a little bit lost here. Yeah, I just not thought anymore. Not anymore. He's established if Trump would just run on his record. And that's why I did the four history shows with him last December. Okay? If you just run on that. Holy shit, Greg Kelly, went. put the Sharpie down. But all of the <laughs> other crap, you're right, they're not going to read Haberman's book, but it's on social media every single day. Boom, boom, boom. You don't need that. It's debilitating. That's a good point there. I, I don't disagree with Bill O'Reilly, who I, I have to tell you, in his old age, could be a... Honest to God, doppelganger for Dan Aykroyd in Nothing But Trouble. The judge, he yeah. looks exactly like him right now. <laughs> Liver spots everywhere, translucent skin, shaky hands. Holy crap. Same voice, though. Um, it looks like we're going to have Nothing But Trouble in the outro of our next episode. Um, but, yeah, he does make a lot of good points. I mean, you know, Donald Trump does crave the spotlight, but he just should start focusing on the ones that are going to make him shine the brightest instead of giving. I, I do understand there's a portion of him that probably gives people like Maggie, uh, you know, the time of day just so they can't say that he doesn't do anything with the progressive left media. But the fact of the matter is if, if the only reason she's going to interview you is to write the biggest hit piece of the year, according to the New York Times bestseller list, yeah. uh, then is it really worth it? Is it really worth to have that book coming out the same time that Mar-a-Lago is getting raided or, or they're locking Peter Navarro up at the airport or they're finding Steve Bannon in contempt of court or civilly suing you in the state of New York for $250 million? It doesn't, you know, and uh, it, it's one of those things where 
moving forward, I hope, after these midterm elections, and he's gotten pretty beat up over these midterms. I mean, there's a, over 200 endorsements, rallies every week at, at his age. He, he's doing the best he can, and, and we really love the direction that he's going. And it looks like he's he's just as energized now as he was four years ago. But, again, where you're shining is, like, definitely not, shouldn't be on the back of someone who's going to absolutely trash you. Yeah. He's... And he's got a lot of work ahead of him if he's he's going to be running for president of the United States, which we know he's going to. And I think at this point we need we we really need Republicans to step up. I mean, it is game time. Yeah. It is past game time. It is game time and win time. And I, I'm wondering when a lot of these Republicans are going to get off their asses and get in the game against the very effective evil that the Democrats are very good at and that are currently reigning on America. It is, the Democrats are very good and effective at what they do with their strategies as far as the smearing and the destroying and their, their because they, they have no policy to run on. They've already established that. We've known that. Yeah, they do a little tyranny. <laughs> they do, yeah, they do a little tyranny. They, they, they do, certainly do. They're good at it. A little bit. It. They're good at it. No, they really are. It, it, it's a it's a God given craft. Well, Satan given craft, probably in the most, especially in ones of like Pelosi and and, and Hillary Clinton. But uh, you know, you're right, and and it's it's a shame to see not as many of our sitting Congress people get involved in these races, especially in their states. And a lot of the ones who are safe, you know, I've seen just off the top of my head. Obviously, the Freedom Caucus members are all out there running for the base candidates. You know, they're they're out there for J.D. Vance and they're out there for J.R. Majewski and Blake Masters and people like that. You know, Freedom Caucus is always going to follow Donald Trump around at the rallies and they're going to get everybody fired up. And because they're looking for new members, it was great to hear Joe Kent on the show today when I asked him if the Freedom Caucus interests him. He said, "Absolutely, I'm going to be a member." In, in in January. That's fucking amazing. Uh, yeah. You know, I seen uh, Rand Paul get out, Ted Cruz, who, listen, Ted Cruz is what he is, but we do have receipts from people who worked in the Trump administrations, a lot of the officials who lasted all the way through that said, during the transition in 2016, Ted Cruz's people were the best. Everybody else tried to sabotage everything. Ted Cruz's people were so happy to be there, part of a presidential transition team, they swallowed their pride and did the job that Donald Trump needed them to do. Um you know, and it's good to see him out there uh, endorsing some of these candidates because we're at a point right now, you know, with over 200 endorsements, uh, there's a very small minority of Republican nominees who aren't Trump endorsed. And for anybody to get out there and get behind some of these Trump nominees, it's great. Jim Jordan spoke at the rally, obviously, MTG, people like that. But, uh, you know, we'll see in Michigan. Michigan is a governor's race that we really do need to win, and it's a tall task right now. Uh, same thing in Pennsylvania, the governor's race. And, and I'm hearing from a lot of different sources that people like, you know, uh, Ronna McDaniel and, and Mitch McConnell and, and the, the national governor's chair, whatever the acronym is for that, the GCCC, uh, you know, they're not putting the money they need to into those races. Like Doug Mastriano should be able to beat Josh Shapiro. Josh Shapiro, for as much as they've hyped him up over the last couple years, won back-to-back elections against absolutely repugnant Republican challengers by, like, the slimmest of margins. Now you have Doug Mastriano, who's literally served in that state Senate there for half a decade or more. In addition to that, he's a decorated veteran as well. Um, You know, and it it, it should be a slam dunk. He identifies with the urban area. He wants to fight crime. He wants to create jobs, the energy sector. He said he wants to make Pennsylvania the Florida of the Northeast and, and the gold standard as far as energy production goes in this country. You're not going to tell me that people who are down and out right now and living off the government don't 
find incentive into that when they know when the energy sector is really rolling in Pennsylvania, dude, you, you don't even need a high school education. You can get a job where you make 50, 60, 70, hundred dollars an hour, you know, in the energy sector, it is hard work, blue collar work. But the fact of the matter is those jobs don't exist anymore because of the Biden regime and, and right. people like, you know, Doug Mastriano, he should be able to get a nice three to five point victory uh, come November, but he's just not getting the money into his campaign and seeing enough of those people who are already, you know, governors and, and sending Congress people getting out there and supporting him. So we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, there was a, everybody lost their shit like a week ago when Mitch McConnell pulled $5 million out of Arizona. But what we've saw just in the last week is, is a combination of three super PACs, uh, the Heritage Foundation being one of them, pumping $8 million into his race. In, in a race where I don't even think he needs it. People made a huge, like, big deal about Blake Masters getting money pulled. Listen, Kerry Lake is going to pull that ticket across the finish line. That's my personal opinion, but I think it's going to happen. She is surging right now. Hobbs is, is just getting killed everywhere. Both sides of the media for not doing the debate. Somebody hemmed her up. Viral video again. Uh, this Just this morning of her getting trashed for not wanting to do any debates with Carrie Lake. And, and I feel like Carrie Lake is going to uh, you know get that entire ticket over to the finish line. Best part about it is we're going to ask her next Friday, and I bet you uh, because nobody really has the balls to. No one in the in in the mainstream media is going to ask her that question. And I want to I want to hear her. She doesn't just give half ass answers. I'm going to ask her. Do you feel a responsibility to carry that ticket over the finish line, including the Senate seat, which shouldn't even be. You know, you should worry about the guys that are under you. The House and Senate should be. You know the the people who are already sitting in Congress's deal, but do you feel how strong you've been in this campaign and you're like the national gold standard for governors in this election cycle? Uh, feel the responsibility to carry that ticket over the finish line. And I think I know what her answer is going to be, but I can't wait to hear it out of her mouth. Um, yeah, Antoinette, what do you think? We got you know five weeks now, and uh, this is probably, as everybody keeps saying, the most important election of the the you know our lifetime right now, uh, just based off where this country is going. Two more years of not having control of the House or Senate would probably spell, you'd see China invade Taiwan, you'd see Russia continue to move uh, west and and probably get into that whole WMD thing, which Vladimir Putin is, has been threatening for the last couple of weeks now. So, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where... Uh, the entire country is burning right now. You think the importance level is up at an all-time high, or do you, do you need to see, like, America first turn it up even more? I think, well, we should definitely turn it up even more. I'm optimistic, but it's also, you know, that worry that if we don't win by a large margin, we're completely fucked. <laughs> Sorry. No, it, it, it's an honest assessment. And here's the thing. I keep reminding everybody this every week. These elections, we should really thank God. Conservatives, America firsters, nationalists, populists, we should really thank God for Donald Trump. No one else could do what he's doing right now, and no one else would. Uh, you know, we, we don't like to make him like the emperor of all things conservative politics, but the guy is literally on his own dime doing the more than anyone. Ever, I mean, these things are on Newsmax, Right Side, Real America's Voice, uh, OAN, sometimes Fox News. Uh, they'll cut in and out of the rallies. He's giving these people FaceTime uh, in a way that no one could ever do this. Barack Obama, he had an abysmal uh, king-making ship. Same thing with Bill Clinton, and and even worse for for George W. Bush. Whenever they endorse people, people are like, I don't fucking want that. You know, it, it's one of those things where, and there are a lot of candidates who literally have come out of left field and picked up strength and speed and 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 look great. Um, 
you know, and, and it's all on the back of Donald Trump's endorsements. We might not like all of them. We not we might not even like more some of the Trump endorsements who have lost. Uh, but these are the numbers we have, and we do have, you know, the opportunity to get to 53, 54 Senate seats, 235, 240 in the House, and 34, 35 governors, uh, which would definitely be a good start to get this country on the right track and would give Donald Trump the inside one to winning back the White House in, in, in 2024, as we, you know, outlined with our good friend Dr. Peter Navarro um, earlier in the week. So as we're getting ready to segue here, we still got, believe it or not, one Amazing America First interview, and then uh, we're going to wrap it up. All right, joining us next on the show today, she's a conservative voice for North Carolina's family. She's also running an America First campaign and is the Republican nominee for North Carolina for Courtney Gills. Thanks for coming back on Steak for Breakfast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Well, it's been a while since we've had you on the show. Congratulations on your big primary win. Uh, it was a, you know... Rough primary season for everybody, but you made it through. And now looking towards the general election, how are you doing? How are uh, things changing up in regards to your campaign? And what's the latest news from the trail? It's going really well. And it is getting, I would say, like more fun as we get closer to November. People are starting to tune in. People want to know who you are because they know they're about to have to vote. So they're much more interested when you just approach a random person on the street and say, hey, I'm Courtney Gills. I'm running for Congress. Um, they're much more interested in chatting. Um, and then also, you know, your volunteer base gets much more engaged. Everybody wants signs. Um, I'm running out of signs. They're saying, we'll pay for more signs. I'm like, oh, well, I wish I had known that. I would have already had them for you. So um, it's been really exciting to just see people get really excited to get behind me which i've needed because this has been exhausting i've been campaigning for about a year now so to see other people rallying around and just doing a lot of the work for me is is really encouraging and uplifting and it's really a team effort i'm running in a d plus 16 district but a d14 was flipped in texas just yep. recently so i am working really hard to flip this one and if any year it's an open seat and biden is ruining our country at least economically so i'm hoping that that works in my favor and we're able to be successful in november no that's a that's a lot of great points you make there you know one of the ones that really resonates with our listenership and we hear from almost all of the candidates is the uh work of your ground game and the fact that you are like a as a candidate in somebody's face touchable approachable wanting to know about these big issues that are you know the hot topics of the midterms right now when you talk about the economy inflation energy prices and then obviously crime um how are those things right now in in, in a heavy democrat district historically based off the last couple of elections how are those issues resonating with the voters there i mean regardless of whose guy won in 2020 or what candidates are running in the district now there can't be too much that a democrat uh, house candidate in that district can be offering them as far as solutions go moving forward no, absolutely. My opponent, um, when when asked what the top issue was, we both said the economy, but her solution to the economy was defunding military. Uh, um, and so that was an interesting uh, observation. I'm sitting there going, you know, I don't think that's necessarily a bipartisan buy-in there. I don't know that anyone really likes the thought of it, especially with what's going on overseas right now. I don't think any of us want um, to decrease the strength of our military. And so, um, no, she really has no answers. And economically, that's touching every single person, especially the low-income voter, which a lot of low-income voters have voted Democrat historically. Um, but they're seeing that the Biden administration is not doing what they wanted them to do. They feel, you know, they feel it in their pockets when they're going to the grocery store, when they're going to the gas station. And um, 
I think people are really interested in talking to a Republican right now, even if they don't generally vote Republican, they give me a look that's really suspicious. But then after we talk for a little while, they kind of look at my card and go, okay, I'll, I'll look you up. And they look interested. And so I think I'm definitely moving the needle. I'm hoping I'm moving it enough that I'm able to pull it off and win. The independent vote is definitely, I think for most people, the independent vote is huge. In North Carolina, there was a statistic during the primary about how many independents polled Republican ballots, and and it was um, it was a very high number. I can't remember what the what the percentage was, but I think my husband ran the number, and I just need about sixty percent. Uh, if we're able to really push the Republican vote out, which is part of our strategy, is working on getting Republicans out to vote. I think we just actually need sixty percent of independents, which is definitely doable. Yeah, I mean, we we've heard about it. You know, Trafalgar, uh, the people who run that, sat down across the cable news circuit last weekend and talked about it's really hard to identify which voters are coming out. Obviously, they know Republicans are huge day of, but those shy moderates and uh, independent voters are really reluctant to say which way they're going to vote, even though we all assume that they're going to vote for America first. And that's why they're showing some reluctancy, how, you know, the current administration has kind of demonized anything having to do with, you know, putting this country before places like Ukraine and everywhere else in the world. So Mm -hmm. I, I think that's definitely something, you know, heading into the winter, when energy costs are going to be critical and you're starting to see gas spike in, in several states over the last week, in addition to that, heating your home uh, is going to be something that's uh, you know, critical to families. And the holiday season, we're going to start reaping the non-rewards of the Inflation Reduction Act uh, mm-hmm. just around Thanksgiving time. So you know, it, it, there's a lot of items on the table, big ticket, that could uh, you know, really help propel the message that you're trying to get out there with those uh, you know, blue-collar, hard-working voters, regardless of what side of the aisle they're on. Yeah, you see a lot of, um, not independents, Republicans are, you know, they really, we all want energy independence. It has to do with that America first agenda, which is good for um, international affairs, for sure, to not feel like we're reliant on other countries for our energy. Um, But I really don't believe that even if we become energy independent again, that's really going to decrease gas prices dramatically. Because really, if we look at the trend in gas prices, it's very similar to the trend in other goods. And so we're seeing this trickle effect that's really bad, and I think it's actually going to get worse. Um, I'm not sure there's even really a way to fully stop it or slow it down dramatically because when you talk to farmers, they're having trouble um, even continuing to farm. I've talked to farmers who just a simple example was they they usually produce hay that they sell to um, horse farmers, and multiple of them are not selling this year. They just stopped harvesting hay because it was not it was not economical for them to even spend the gas or deal with the maintenance on their machines. And so they just stopped. So they said, we're not hurting, but we're not adding to the economy. And so I think we're going to see more and more of that. And anyone who has to transport things with a truck across the country or across the state, um, that's just going to increase prices even more. It just kind of keeps going. I'm not really sure how you, how you stop it at this point, other than making sure we're not spending even more money nationally. Yeah, we've talked about it on this show quite frequently. You know, a lot of small businesses rely on at least 5% of their total uh, budget to just for fuel and energy costs. And then when you talk about the agriculture sector, uh, it has to be a lot more than that small number there. And and when they're like, you know, picking and choosing between things to keep their actual crops and the bread and butter going, then the extra stuff like you had mentioned, like, you know, hay production to sell off as feed for other places. And then it all starts to domino into those things. Like where do the farmers who need the hay for their horses get it from then? Are they getting it from out of area or out of state? And uh, the energy costs and and the fuel costs go into all that as well. So it's Mm -hmm. definitely a huge issue that I definitely think is going to be, you know, 
lighten it up close to the campaign. Now, you and your uh, general election opponent, are you guys going to have some FaceTime together, forums, debates? Have you already had any, and how are things going in that uh, area? She's really challenging to get out to talk in front of people. She has done one town hall, which I have listed on my website under news. It says meet my opponent. So we have the the link for that town hall on my website. And I'm not sure that we're going to see her much more. There is one other Zoom town hall, which I find interesting that she will not seem to appear in person. I think I just had my fifth in-person town hall where she did not show up um, today, right before this interview. So um, I'm not sure we're going to be able to get her out. I have two two TV stations locally that's willing to host a debate since this is an open seat for the first time in over 30 years. A lot of people are really interested in it, and they're willing to host it on TV nonetheless, and she's not answering. Rowan, you know, what I find interesting is I'm on your website now, Courtney, and that's CourtneyGillsForCongress.com, and you say, you know, she, she had one town hall, and you, you're everywhere. I'm, I'm following your campaign closely. And yep. I see, right, you have your you have your upcoming schedule, you know, October 2nd, October 8th. If she wants to find you, she can go right to your website and go and engage with you and talk to you and have no problem. And what I can't wrap my head around is what you said earlier is she thinks helping the American economy is the answer is defunding the military. I don't understand how that is supposed to help the economy. Maybe I'm just confused on it. And I would imagine that she is in support of when thousands of, of service members lost their jobs because of the vaccine mandates, then, hey, you know, how much more can we defund it? You're not paying their salaries. So she, I, I, it's very odd. And I think she needs to be called out on that. Well, how exactly is defunding the military helping the American economy, number one? And number two, press her on, well, you know, the CDC changes guidelines and all of the now you have uh, municipalities allowing their firefighters and police officers and some healthcare workers go back to work because the mandates have been lifted. Why hasn't that happened to the military? And I know I think I believe Governor DeSantis has has, has said, hey, we need to get our military back to work. Mm-hmm. And your opponent wants to defund the military to help the American economy. That 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 stuck. That sticks with me. It, it, it's yeah, quite it's a problem. It's really a problem because we all see that the well, the, the reality of it is. We all know that if we have a balanced budget, we have to cut somewhere. And so her answer is to cut military, which we know harms international issues and relations because it. we already look dramatically weak because we have a president that has dementia, for <laughs> sure. Um, I, I kind of joke, but I'm very, very serious about when um, – when those Afghanistan soldiers were brought back and Biden came to meet them that had passed away. And when he came to meet them, everyone was talking a lot about how he kept looking at his watch. Right. And I said, from the very time that happened, it's because he doesn't know where he is. He's reorienting himself. That's what people with dementia do. That was a long time ago. And our literally all of our enemies or People who say they're our friends internationally, they see that we are weak. And I think the reason that we're seeing what's happening in Russia and Ukraine is because they know we have a weak president that's not going to get involved, that's not going to stop it. Um, And when we defund our military, that's just weakening our country internationally even more. And it's setting us up to be very dependent on other countries and risk really our safety here in the States. Absolutely. Yeah, it makes uh, it's pretty much laying it out there as, as black and white as you can. And I do have to mention also, you know, we had uh, in regards to, you know, you being in the House next year, Courtney, Representative Massey this week when they had that continuing resolution, which was complete garbage, 
uh, signed in. He tried to get an amendment in there that would have allowed for the vaccine mandates and stuff like that in the military to be out, and he could only get like 140 people to sign on to it. So the amendment didn't get put in. But that's why we need more people who have this country's best interest in hand uh, in Congress next year like you. We want to be able to direct as much of our listenership to uh, get involved with your campaign. It's crunch time now. We're in the home stretch. Uh, you know, we're less than, than six weeks away from Election Day. So if you want to give us your campaign website and your social medias, we'll live link them in the show today. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, my campaign website is CourtneyGeelsForCongress.com. And pretty much all of uh, all of my social media is at Courtney Geals. So we have Twitter, Getter, uh, Instagram, and Facebook. And I try to engage as much as I can if someone's local and wants to volunteer. We're trying to cover all the polling locations. There's 162 of them, so we need lots of help. Um, and we have a lot of help, so I think we're going to be able to meet that goal. And um, if anyone wants to donate, they can do that online at CourtneyGillsForCongress.com and help us get the marketing out and really make sure people know they need to send a nurse, not a career politician to Congress. Absolutely. That's, that's it right there. And, uh, you know, we, we always encourage our listenership to find candidates you identify with, even if you're not in state, just send a couple bucks. It's doing more than helping right now. And, uh, we wish you the best of health and luck down the stretch here. We'll be keeping a close eye and of course, sharing you uh, through all our social medias as you're getting ready to head into, uh, November. And, uh, you know, if, if the opportunity arises and you're allowed to come, uh, back time permitting then just let us know and we'd be more than happy to have you thank you so much good to talk to you again yeah good to talk to you as well this is the america first republican nominee north carolina for courtney Gilles. thanks for coming back on steak for breakfast not a bad way to end the week if i do say so myself um a lot of news going on right now on the verge of world war three heading into five weeks away from the midterm elections and everything else in between uh, we hope you enjoy the way we're uh, bringing that coverage to you the best we can, and I, I can surely assure you things are going to be heating up. If you like this episode and like to hear the other 173 Steak for Breakfast podcasts, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Podaddict, Google Podcast, FM Player, iHeartRadio, the Patriot Podcast Network on the Roku app, or even on Frank's Speech. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share steak for breakfast content show creds go out to our amazing guests today mr joe kent running in washington three for a u.s house seat courtney Geals running in north carolina four for a u.s house seat and cynthia hughes the founder of the january 6th patriot freedom project awesome sitting down with all of them today things are only going to heat up so uh buckle up listeners in addition to them some of our internet friends who white memes the patriotic babe accounts ultra garbaggio and christina bob of save america don't forget to get out there and uh, throw some cash at all of our partners because when you do, the only thing that happens is you help make small American businesses great again, namely my pillow. Whether it's the best night sleep you've ever had on an original my pillow, now priced at $19.98, or you're saving 25% off on the newly released my coffee, Mike Lindell is going to take care of you. Enter promo code steak at checkout, mypillow.com forward slash steak for sleep related mystore.com forward slash steak or breakfast related or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative 1-800-658-8045 the top tier of ear gear and the best damn headphones that I've ever owned can be found at Odyssey make the investment if you're podcasting, you're into music doing anything, in studio recording equipment, do it up get it done right, odyssey.com is the website find them on Facebook and Instagram as well stay ready gear holsters 
If you'd like a picture of hmm, Joe Biden looking for a dead congresswoman at an event he's holding for her, they'll take that and throw it on a Kydex concealed carry holster and get that order out faster than ever before. StayReadyGear.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs! Had some man rubbed chicken thighs and legs the other day. It was pretty damn delicious. Manrubs.com is the website. Find them on Facebook and Instagram. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has a pretty simple equation for all your gun-related needs. Firearms, parts, accessories, and ammo. WestCoastSurvivalArms.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Mediocre Medic for all our first responders. You're going to like all the gear they've got in their store, and you're going to like their Instagram a little bit more. MediocreMedic.com is the website. MyPatriotCigars.com, new company. Promo code stake at checkoff. You get 15% off. You're getting that e-gift cards with any orders over 100 bucks. You're also getting free shipping as well when you spend that much. MyPatriotCigars.com is the website. And last but certainly not least, the home of the Zero Fuck Stuck. If you still don't know, just go ask Mark Joe Friday. It's that simple. He's on Facebook Messenger. Dumpbox.us is the website. Upcoming shows. We're coming back on Tuesday. We've got uh, what some people might call a banger. J.R. Majewski will be here. We're going to sit down with Newsweek's Josh Hammer, the National Pulse's Raheem Kassam, Ryan Zinke, Republican nominee out of Montana 1, and maybe even Gavin Wax, the president of the New York Young Republican Club. No, I'm going to say it ahead of time. I'm sorry. Next Friday, it's looking like Christina Bob and Liz Harrington will be here. The following Tuesday on the 14th will be Devin Nunez and Cash Mattel Volume 2. And... J.W. Gibbons from The Daily Caller will be here on the 18th. And on the 21st, Paige Willie is scheduled. We've got a ton of stuff coming up. In addition to that, let's jump in there and just uh, add the date that I missed. On the 7th of uh, October, probably our biggest America First show in a while. Carrie Lake, Doug Mastriano, Sandy Smith, Max Miller, they'll all be here. So align your calendars as I read it to you the wrong way. Friends of the Week, got my updated list right here. First of all, all of our friends from True Social, that Twitch streamer crew. We've got Beastie Man 420, Siberian Kitty, Real Lazy Boss, American Nintendo, Suitcase, CSM Master, Burger Man. In addition to them, we got Jason E. Van Gundy, Some Call Me Tim 79, Thomas Bama, and Indiana Zoomer. Ghost Hammer, you know we love you, as do we, 13 Gen Patriot. And some of our little memer crew, mostly peaceful memes, dumbass Photoshop, real Brenda memes, Madam America, the real Al Gorbachev, Sanchez memes, John Hacker LA, Grand Old Memes, and the real meme DeLorean. Stolen Valor, never forget. Guys, thanks for remember between now and Tuesday. Actually, now and tomorrow, because we've got the Great Steak Breakfast, our live show tomorrow morning. And that's going to be at uh, 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 Eastern on Rumble, YouTube, etc. Go find the links on our social profiles. Number one, do your own research. Lots of stuff going on right now. you got to find out who bombed that Nord Stream 1 and 2. Let's do a little bit of research. Number two, start a podcast. No, I'm sorry. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again because we just don't talk about American greatness enough. It's time. We need to start talking about American greatness. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 174 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. And we'll be back with episode 175. On Tuesday, J.R. Majewski, Josh Hammer, Raheem Kassam, Ryan Zinke, maybe even Gavin Wax. On behalf of the pod team, who's not here today, it's just me. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. 
Maybe we'll see you on the live show tomorrow. And take care. There's a profound disconnect between the well-being and flourishing of the American people and the geopolitical dominance of the globalist American empire. As Trump himself said, their victories are not our victories. And so at the very least, I would encourage would-be American nationalists not to fall into the battered spouse trap of supporting the very institutions that have been repurposed for the destruction of American nationalists. In short, I say let the degenerates make sacrifices for the prestige and preeminence of the globalist American empire while we do the difficult work of building an America that deserves such preeminence. Thank you.